I'm the target of a meat missile going 150 miles an hour plus. That got really <laughs> exciting all of a sudden. I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. I'm killing it. Utah, give me two. You're listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and Nicholas Lott. Produced by Justin Grubbs. Have we talked about skydiving the whole time? Gentlemen. Hey, Mr. Norman Kent. Welcome to the show. Hello. So welcome back to the show, should I say? Yeah, I I think it's becoming a a tradition. Has it been? Before we start, I got to say. No, we started. No. (laughs) (laughs) It's too late. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before we get any further, I guess I can say. I I want to make sure everybody knows that we started late not because of me. I was on time. (laughs) I had all the information and everything. But, you know, everybody else wanted to talk about all this other stuff and whatever. I'm going, like, when are we going to start? And so I really was on time. You know, I have this reputation of being late, so that's why I'm putting that disclaimer out. You know, we can blame... <laughs> DJ is probably the easiest one to blame. Yeah. Because uh, he's yeah. a chatty little Kathy, that DJ. <laughs> yeah, t- tonight you will see the chattiest version oh, of yeah, possible. Okay. <laughs> I remember what I was going to talk about. Last time you were in town, Norman, I wasn't here because I was sick. <laughs> and now, here you are. DJ's sick, but he's here anyway. That's my house. Hey, I, I don't have a choice. I, I'm <laughs> seeing myself on the screen, but I want to know where that camera is in case I want to go like Let's that. see. Oh, that yeah, one is the close-up view. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the right-hand side is the live. That's one. a full set of all of us. <laughs> okay, great. that is a you alone camera, and then there's one interfacing Nick and I. That's an us camera. And and this microphone makes me feel like I should start singing or something. Like, well, <laughs> feel free, but I, I don't know how, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I shouldn't. Bon Jovi? No, no, no. no. Let's just get on with well, the show. <laughs> we have certainly ruined Bon Jovi songs on this show before. <laughs> So were you in town for Jump for the Rose last time you were on the show? Has it been a full year? Yeah, it has been a, a full year, and I, I was here for Jump for the Rose. It, it's kind of like a tradition for me. I, I, um, it's, it's, a, it's a way for me to give back, you know, a little bit. And I, I like the, the, um, anything to do with that kind of a cause. I've done other causes like that. Like um, um, there was other uh, breast cancer or other cancer causes that I've done in Paris and in other places. And, and it really kind of turns me on to give a little bit back, to just volunteer my time and uh, and see money roll in for, for a specific cause. So. I, I think most of our listeners will probably know what Jump for the Rose is, but for anyone listening who doesn't know, the Rose is a uh, an organization in Houston. They provide uh, treatment for women who have breast cancer. Uh, they, they do treatment. For a long time, my understanding was they, they treated women who didn't have insurance. Yeah, who but they couldn't afford it. But they do also mm-hmm. treat w- women who have insurance, and um, by treating them, they get more money that goes to help more women without insurance. Mm-hmm. But uh, Marion Sparks, the founder of Jump for the Rose, was a patient at the Rose, and uh, her way of giving back has been organizing these skydiving events. And I'm not sure with, with what they raised this year, how much they've, they've raised in total, but I know it's over $220,000. Yeah, the it accumulates, years, so. and it's almost a quarter of a million dollars. So. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's awesome. It's a really cool story, I'm sure. Uh, I've done a few videos about Jump for the Rose, that their, their last few boogies, so there's there's plenty of stuff out there. Yeah. I just want to take one second because Marion means a lot to me. Um, I was actually your instructor early on, and Jump for the Rose has become a very special place in my heart. And if you're a listener of the show, you may have heard me talk about this before, but if you go to smile.amazon.com, you're going to be shopping from Amazon. You're going to be paying the same prices, but you choose the charity of your choice on smile.amazon.com, and there's thousands of charities. Jump for the Rose is one of them. And a very, very small percentage of what you spend at, at Amazon goes to your charity of choice. 
it doesn't cost your charity anything. It doesn't cost you anything. It's just Amazon. The price is the same. I've tried it. So go to smile.amazon.com. Choose your charity of choice. Hopefully it is Jump for the Rose. And anything and everything you buy. I actually don't use the Amazon app on my phone. I actually on my phone saved that website because after you go there and pick it, you still have to always use that URL, smile.amazon. And now anything and everything I buy raises funds for Jump for the Rose. So, man, who doesn't buy too much junk on Amazon? Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. All these mics, all these mic stands, the majority of these cables. <laughs> the, I mean, most of what's on this show was bought through Smile.Amazon. So definitely support a great cause. I, I really believe in the Susan G. Komen Foundation. They're about research. But as Nick said, this is about treating women. And Marion Sparks, one of our dear friends, she was treated and she was cured of breast cancer by the Rose, by Dorothy Gibbons and her foundation and just such wonderful ladies. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I love about Jump for the Rose is they have very, very little expenses. The ladies who run the organization, none of them take pay. It's all voluntary. They use money as little as they can. On occasion, they have to actually fly in or deal with something. But for the most part, it's like 99% of their money goes to the organization, to to their charity. So what better way to give back? What better way to support a skydiver? Um, I, I just have to give that plug. I love the ladies at Jump for the Rose. And Norman, thank you so much for supporting my friend and my family. You're, you're welcome. You're welcome. So, it's, it's a pleasure to do that. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's I, – I, I love coming here for that event. But it's also an opportunity uh, – to you know, see people that I jump with all over the world, and to see you guys, and to sit here and uh, and share uh, a bunch of different stories with uh, hopefully an audience that's watching or will watch uh, recorded. So, and I also before before we get any further, I, I also would love to acknowledge some of my sponsors too, um, because I think a lot of people that love my work and and love what I do, um, they they need to understand that I that I I really do get support. It's not it's not never a one person's um, job, you know, or, or one person's um, accomplishments. And some of my sponsors are uh, Performance Designs, which uh, I've been, I've, well, I've had a relationship. I want to say I had a relationship with them for a long time, but that just kind of tells you how old I am, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's yes. all directly related to how old they are. Um, and uh, UPT Vector, uh, I've had a great experiences with, <clears throat> with Bill Booth, including some amazing adventures like the North Pole and things like that with him. And we'll get some of that tonight. Yeah, yeah, we will yeah. get some of that. And uh, I also get, uh, I have uh, um, um, the Cypress. Cypress is, uh, is uh, awesome. It's been awesome to me. And uh, wh- one of the cool things, if, as long as we're in a talk show, let's just rap about it. Let's go. One of the cool things about uh, Cypress was uh, that I can share a story is that um, when Cypress first came out, uh, Helmut, which I didn't know, came to me, and he wanted my help, and he wanted to me to support his cause and and you know try to s- save lives and all this stuff. But and I turned him down, and the reason why I turned him down was because I felt that in my activity, uh, in what I do, um, if I had a premature opening, it would just kill me. So that uh, I felt that an AAD could kill me rather than save me because uh, opening prematurely would just be, if I'm not set up properly for a deployment, the physics would work out. It's <laughs> just not, good, not a good idea. So I said, no, this is too risky. And it was early in the days when, when AADs had a uh, bad reputation. So I turned him down, and this is right, uh, um, you know. Uh, like if you I had to guess what year this was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wow, I would have to say maybe... 
and I'm totally guessing, I'd have to say maybe it was like about 85 okay. or something like that. I wasn't born yet. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, and, and so I turned him down and then I had a, 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 a weird incident. Uh, my wife at the time who's passed now, Diana, who was the, he's the mother of, of freestyle and, um, her and I were training in, in a jump and then, um, she was listening to music for in free fall and the music was at a certain altitude was supposed to turn off. And it was very, again, even the Larson and Bruce guard, um, which is another one of my sponsors, by the way, <laughs> the devices back there, they made something for her specifically, but they were very crude. They were very mechanical. They had a dial that you turn back and forth to, to set the altitude. And somehow hers had been uh, set uh, wrong or miss miss. Uh, it was moved. So we're we're in free fall and she's training and I'm shooting her and then all of a sudden I'm hearing my audibles and I'm going like okay we're done and and she's going and going and dancing and dancing and dancing <laughs> and, and I'm going like okay you know the <laughs> this has been enough and and I finally was not quite sure what to do I was going to try to signal her and stuff but as as I got apprehensive I also was not engaged in in the in the flying as much therefore we created distance and pretty soon I was like you know we're we're going in you know and this is no no aads you know and and um and i all of a sudden went like i I instinctively i deployed and i was very very low and i watched her continue and uh, i was probably under the saddle at 1500 feet uh maybe 1200 feet and she continued um she had by then she had realized it but she was way behind me so I watched her deployment as she just deployed and landed within five seconds, you know, and it was like, wow. Yeah, and it was like, wow, we, we, we immediately grounded ourselves. We were like, this is not right. You know, as, as, uh, an experienced jumper should not be doing this. And um, so <laughs> we called Helmut <laughs> in Cyprus, you know, and going like, hey, <laughs> remember me? <laughs> And uh, by then, Cyprus had been become very popular because uh, Tommy Pyers had gone in in that very strange incident where he, in his last jump, he said like, "Oh, I forgot to turn my Cyprus on. What could possibly happen?" He actually had one in his in his container, but didn't turn it on. And uh, and in that jump, he died. He was uh, knocked unconscious, and um, and we don't know if he died before impact or not. But so Helmut came to Florida and, and met with me in my trailer, and it was. Um, it was interesting because, you know, he said, I want to tell you a story. And I'm, you know, I was like wondering what was going on. And he told me the story about how he, um, he came, his friend, a photographer died and he took it upon himself as a, as a mission to create a device that he would save lives with and that this wouldn't happen again. And he went through the extensive, uh, you know, design and all that, and a lot of money went into it. And he just kind of changed his whole life and his career and everything to to devote to this. But his motivation was to save lives and to not see somebody um, go through that again. You know, when there was it was possible. And uh, and when he finished telling me the story, it was like so captivating. It was like, wow, I told him no. I can't believe I told this man no. All I was could think of is a day AD in my back. And by now they were more proven. People had him, it was a couple of years later, you know. So, you know, then she told me, so really, and our sales are gone crazy since then. So really, I don't need you. <laughs> so it's basically <laughs> no to your sponsorship. And I was like, you know, wow, okay. But when he said, no, I don't need you, he says, but I want to help you. He says, you remind me of my friend. 
you're a photographer also. And uh, yes, I don't need you, but I'm going to help you. And so that would always stayed with me as a, as a, and I guess it's just a plug for, for that particular sponsor, but I, I don't, I'm not trying to plug a sponsor as much as I'm trying to share a story on how some of these people really come to be in the sport as far as their, um, their motivation to being there and how a funny story and how, uh, you know, how I said no to a life-saving device that was really reliable. I just didn't know at the time and how, uh, you know, later on I, I turned around. So, you know, that was, and then my list of sponsors so I can keep going because I, uh, there's several, I also have, um, you know, uh, Julio from Liquid Sky sponsored my suits. And one of the things I love about Julio is that, that, uh, he, he, he does what I need. I kind of like designing my own suits, designing as far as the wings and things like that. And, and he kind of looks at me, rolls his eyes like, oh, shit, that's a pain in the ass to, <laughs> to build. But he'll do it, you know, and he's, uh, he's, he's really a, a supporter of me that way. Uh, Tonefly, which are competitors in a way because they're, they're, they're also suit manufacturers, but they, they sponsor me with, with uh, helmets that, are, uh, that I use. Uh, although my helmets are very custom made, they're more like uh, their helmets are more like for my training and stuff like that. One of the big sponsors I have is also um, um, Parasport Italia. And, and nobody knows about Parasport Italia. But this is a really cool story because um, I don't know who, how many people know this, but I'm, I am, uh, I'm, well, I'm, I'm not perfect. <laughs> I'm sure we all are. But I have a lot of physical imperfections, and part of it is my hands. My hands are very different mm-hmm. to each other. I don't know how many people notice that, but... Um, my right hand uh, is uh, is different. My fingers are really small. I can't uh, bend them like this. I can only do that, which is kind of the equivalent of this without bending. And um, and my fingers are really small. The palm of the hand is almost the same size. So they took on manufacturing uh, gloves for me. That would be because I all I, all I, every time I had a buy a pair of gloves for cold weather for anything it's like you're buying a pair of gloves as, as small as you can fit it on your left hand because you're going to buy one pair right <laughs> unless you want to buy two pair and then you take the other one and butcher the crap out of it and try to make the fingers work and all that and they actually started making custom gloves for me and obviously they don't sell that for anybody else yeah. and that's a hell of a sponsor mm-hmm. they're not really trying to sell this product through you they're just trying to help you out and I'll never, uh, I'm never going to stop uh, thinking about them. Um, ironically enough, somebody else approached me today that manufactures gloves and wants to give me gloves because they, they saw the problem. And uh, and I tell you, I can't tell you how many rigors I begged to please modify my my fingers. You know, I cut the fingers off and so it's all done by hand, obviously. Yeah. So, um, and if I'm forgetting any sponsors, I apologize uh, because I have so many people supporting me. Uh, but uh, anyway, that's the the word on sponsors. So not you mentioned uh, PD is your first sponsor. Mm-hmm. I've seen some of your camera setups, and I know what some of those cameras weigh. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, what canopy you jump? Uh, I jump a Stiletto 135. Okay, are there any any mods to the canopy that? Uh... Yeah, there are some mods to the canopy. Um, it, all of my canopies have modifications. All of my re- equipment is very modified, uh, in in all sense, and uh, the the canopies in particular have a bigger slider, wider, um, and um, have Dacron lines. And the reason why I choose a stiletto, it has a bad reputation, you know, because a lot of people didn't like the fact that it would get line stretch, and then it just kind of spends time sniveling there and, and not quite opening. And that means that if one half of the canopy decides to open first, 
then it would turn, you know, and, and you're going for, for a turn. And that, that people, that nickname was, Sp- Sp- was Spiletto? Spinetto. Spinetto. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but for me, what the wider slider, the, the Dacron lines are amazing because although they're bigger in volume, the thing I discovered, and I discovered this through a friend of mine, uh, a rigger, uh, Billy Weber, he, he, I walked in there, he said he, he was telling me about Dacron lines, and, and, he, and I went like, well, what's the big deal? How much of a difference can I make? Because I'm always thinking, technically speaking, it's just um, you know, a line stretches versus another one doesn't. It's like, come on, how much is it going to stretch? You know what I mean? And he said, no, no, try this. And he had a, um, he had a, um, like a, uh, a string where I could put in my finger like a yo-yo and a weight at the end of it. And he says, try this with this line and just drop it. So I would drop it, and I could feel the, the jerk in my finger, and then try the same thing with a Dacron line, and it, it didn't feel as hard on my finger. And I thought, wow, I mean, it does make a difference. you know. So I started doing ja- Dacron since then. I, all the cameramen do that now, and uh, I, I love that about it. And, and one of the reasons for the wider slider is that it catches a little more air, uh, so it makes it even snivel more, makes it take longer to open, and the reason why I like that is because it gives me time to to put my helmet between the the risers mm-hmm. and take the load into the spine rather than taking the load, you know, like this way downward. Um, and so that's one of the reasons I, I like a bigger slider. I actually use a, a a really loose chest strap for that reason. So my rig will open up as it's deploying, and the the, the slider will let it. So that's one of the modifications. They always kind of like do whatever I want, you know. And, and the same thing with with uh, UPT. You know, there, there's a lot of there's a part of me that's a bit of an inventor, more because I've had needs that it's like things that I invent stuff for myself. You know, mm-hmm. as a matter of fact, I think one of the things people don't probably know is that the the free fall the free fly handle the pud the normal flat pud was designed for me. Really? Yeah, it was designed for me years ago. I was the one that started because my hand again doesn't doesn't grab like this. That's why I can't have uh, pillow handles because I just kept every time I had to cut away, I, I kept dropping it. So I, I have to have a, a loop so I can just stick a finger on it and push on it. And uh, and the same thing with the with the handle. It was like it was something where I could, if it was nice and flat, I could actually pinch my fingers on it and then pull it and throw it. You know, so it it. Uh, it, it, and that was one of the okay. I had a need, so they went like, okay, let's go to work on it. And they, uh, uh, we came up with this design, and, and then all of a sudden, like, huh, this cool design. Maybe we ought to just let everybody use it. And, and <laughs> that was many years ago. So that's one of the things I love about my sponsors is they'll 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 kind of take what I what I do. And some of the modifications are useless <coughs> to everybody else, you know, mm-hmm. or or they're just very like I wear a bungee on the back of my yoke in my container and people are all uh, people st- sitting behind me are always like tapping me in the shoulder. What the hell is that for? And what it is, is when I, when I, I again, we were talking about the risers opening up. So my helmet will fit. And, uh, um, so what I to allow that, if you wear your chest strap really tight, your, your risers are right here and there's not a lot of room for the helmet. That means you got to take the deployment with the risers hitting the, the back of your head, especially when you have a big setup. My setups can get a little bit wide. So they, it allows me to use a chest strap really, really loose, and the bungee keeps the yoke together so it doesn't fall off my shoulder, so the rig doesn't fall off my shoulder. So little things like that. Yeah. I, I want to, before we go too far, uh, remind the audience, we've got a lot of conversations. You and I had a wonderful call the other day, and we've kind of got a, a set of topics before us that there's no way we'll accomplish it all. And despite no. this this goal of ours, 
we really want to open up tonight to our fans, to our audience. And I say our fans, I mean Norman Kent's fans and fans of our show both. If you've got questions, comments, stories you want to hear about, things you want to know from Mr. Kent, please feel free. I'm actually got my uh, iPad open tonight. I don't normally have it in front of me. I'm monitoring Facebook comments. I don't always get to see them all, so Mr. G over here will also notice anything important and let me know. I, I want to see a, a shot of Mr. G. Come on, is there Mr. not a G, camera? Uh, there oh, is yay, a camera for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. My ginger, Mr. That's G. Right. Well, I'm a Norman Kent fan, and I, I'm a, a bit of a camera nerd, so I have questions. Okay. Uh, I've seen you jump that red camera a fair bit. Do you mm-hmm. have any setups that are heavier than that? Um, well, you know, first of all, one of the things that I think people enjoy about uh, this kind of show is that I have a lot of visual material. So mm-hmm. maybe we should show some of the so show some of the pictures that are of my different helmets and stuff. Um, my heaviest setup to at this point is the, is the red, um, but I I put on top of uh, besides the red I put. Um, uh, yeah, the one that's, that's the red right there that's on the screen now, and um, the the thing that I that uh, the heaviest is the red, and for me, um, I, I, it's never enough. You know, it's always the still camera, and then because the red is so not user friendly when it comes to what the skydivers want, which is oh, did, you know, let me see it. <laughs> like yeah. I, I can't show. It. Like uh, I, I gotta process it. I don't you think know? your computer's gonna read this. <laughs> exactly. Memory card. No, no, I, so I, I then I put a, a, a Sony, the same one as I use without when I'm not jumping the red. I put it on on, on the side, and that becomes it's a little bit of a wide setup. AX33. Yeah, an AX33 is an older camera, and and um, that is um, is kind of the heavier setup these days. Um, but it's not that heavy. It's you know I think it's like uh, it, it varies depending on what you put on there and lens and all that. But it can get, maximum it gets to about twenty four pounds or twenty two wow. pounds. It's um, not my, very the heavy. heavier the heavier helmets that I've had are more um, the movie camera helmets, mm-hmm. the ones that I that I wore when when doing the. Here's a shot of the of the of the, uh, the red also. Um, that that's a, that's a pretty normal setup I mean, d- for does, me right there. Does a red not count as a movie camera for you? Well, it doesn't because the the red is um is a video camera. A movie camera was a mechanical device. It looks it sounded and sounded it looked like a sewing machine. You know, pulling film through there, <laughs> exposing individual pictures and all that. And you're pulling it, film through in free fall? Is that is well? This? It's 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 a roll, and 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 the, the film the film was like you know it runs at 24 frames per second or whatever you set it at, and uh, it, each frame is you know one, and then it mechanically it pull the, there's a claw that pulls the film down, which exposes another film picture, and then it pulls the film down. That's right there. That's the 35 millimeter um, uh, Russian camera. It's a 35K. And that's the one I use that for a lot of films like uh, Get Smart and and me, films previous to that also uh, and uh, that you know you run film in that that's a, a pretty big setup there you know that thing can and depending on the lens you have sometimes the lenses are, are more are heavier than the camera you know like anamorphic lenses when I shot Cliffhanger my setup was thirty two pounds to do a base jump and I, I remember I'm not a base jumper wow. I was actually base jumping for the movie which is like really a sin and uh, and I remember. The guy that was helping me, he was packing for me, a base jumper, you know, and um, Mark Hewitt, you know, a good friend of mine. And and I was like, man, you, you know, I'm really worried about surviving this, you know, whether I'm going to survive this jump. And and he said, no, no, don't worry. He says, you know, the heart opening can kill me just the same as is as, as one that doesn't open fast enough, you know. And he says, don't worry, I'm, I'm going to pack you a really fast 
but smooth opening. And I went like, okay, okay. And I went like, you fucking liar. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse my language. I hope there's no children listening. Um, but it was it's like, you just, that's a contradiction. You know, you just like, and, uh, you know, so that was kind of the heaviest setup. And the reason why it was so heavy was the lens itself was, I think, was like eight pounds or something worth of lens, yes. uh, anamorphic setup. So is your setup uh, situated in a way that you can slide it backwards and forwards to keep more of that weight over the top of your head? Yes, it is, depending on what I do. So if I don't put the still camera on the front, I can slide the camera forward so it is uh, it is balanced more. you know. And one of the things I should say when people ask me about the helmet, I think this is the subject about surviving the helmet, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> that kind of thing. And um, and it's really interesting because there's a 35mm uh, setup. This is a shooting uh, Willing to Fly, one of my in-house films, and I insisted on shooting it in 35mm even though it was not for a commercial venture or for studios or anything like that. And um, and it was funny because the in the viewfinder where you normally will look through the camera, we we rigged a camera. It was a PC seven at the time that we rigged in to look through there with close up lenses so it would focus that close. And uh, and the and the video was so um, you know it has this flickering of the screen, but you could see at least what the framing was and all of that. And uh, my sweater's there. <laughs> Sorry about that. Don't let me forget that. <laughs> and um, so. What were we talking about? We we're talking about the cent- centering, and one of the things that surviving the helmet involves is um, its balance. You know, people go like, "Oh man, you must have the strongest neck, or you must be really strong." And I'm going like, "Really? <laughs> Come <laughs> on, <laughs> you know, it's not. I'm not the strong dude. Um, it's more elasticity, uh, and it's also more of a technique. So the idea is." Um, I feel like the helmet is a, it's a, it's a, a, a entity that I have a relationship with. Mm-hmm. I talk to it, you know, like go like, hey, hey, you know, you, I know I haven't talked, you know, when you load it up, you kind of go like, I know you haven't uh, been together for a while, but you know, you're not angry, right? You're not gonna hurt me, right? <laughs> is it a little bit like Wilson in the movie Castaway? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of a little bit like Wilson. That. Yeah, exactly. I'm Just sorry like, I haven't I'm jumped s- you. I'm sorry I haven't <laughs> jumped you. I used to leave it assembled with a 35 millimeter camera, and sometimes I'd walk by it and look at it and go like, "No, like really, <laughs> like really." If I wasn't current, you know, because there was if I didn't need to, then you don't jump it, and sometimes you go two or three months without jumping it, and then you got to put it on and go like, "I'm not current." So there, there had to be a, a, um, a technique to d- be developed, and uh, the big, the the, the the best analogy I can think of is I remember going to a boogie in in France, and I was loading up for the week, and you know the cart was really heavy. It had it had beer and wine and <laughs> all the basics, you know, <laughs> and um, and when I try to turn into the next aisle, the cart would just turn but keep going in the same direction because it, the, all wheels turned unlike our, our our carts in in our supermarkets where the rear the rear two wheels don't turn so if you turn the cart it just turned but it'll keep going you know and so to get around to the next aisle you have to get around it and push it over you know so i learned from 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 that uh, of course that wasn't just from that that's just how the, the analogy um, that it's more of a dance in free fall. The helmet is its own entity. It has its own inertia. It has its own speed. And you dance with it. So if you want to go, if it's going right and you want to go left, you got to negotiate that with it. you got to, you know, go, hey, let's go. And you, like a partner, you just kind of get around it and, and bring it around to, to where you want to go. 
and the deployment is the biggest part to understand that in because if you just deploy, you're being pulled from the shoulders and the helmet wants to keep going and it has your head in it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that is not a good thing. So really the idea, the technique is more to get under the helmet, get your body and spine in line under the helmet and take the deployment into the spine. So that's kind of the, the whole technique. So d- does that lead to you watching your openings still? Watching? Yeah. Like are your eyes on the canopy as it's open? No, never. It's always on the horizon. Yeah. Otherwise, your your weight is behind you, mm-hmm. and then you don't, and that's the worst situation. The only thing that's good about the the weight being on the back is that there's a point where it'll hit your container, and the container will take the load. But my container doesn't do that that much because I or my containers are ordered. We were talking about custom uh, stuff. My containers are ordered lower. My containers sit low in the butt, and the reason why I have my containers lowered where they're not, you know, they're not up in my, in my neck uh, where most people like them is because the way I figured is if I have so much weight on my head, why am I going to add weight on the top there? Why, can't, why shouldn't I balance it and bring some of the weight of the container lower in the body so my, my rigs l- lay low? That's part of the design I made, and when I requested that I'd like bring my, my rig lower so you get the, the, the weight of the rig away from the rig the weight of the helmet, you know, so that way you're, you're kind of a little bit, cause you know, sometimes like, especially if you're like standing or, or, or sitting, uh, or I'm sorry, or, or, or yeah, like standing, going feet first, you know, your head up, your feet first, you know, it's like a dart going backwards, you know, the feathers going first, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't compute. So your rig a little lower helps you with that. In fact, uh, when some of the stuff, uh, the head up stuff, I, I keep, this is a side story and kind of drifting away, but which I do a lot, by the way. That's the theme of this show. <laughs> yeah. Drift all you want. Okay. It's like when, 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 you're, when I was doing uh, freestyle shooting with Diana, I used to do a lot of uh, you know, sit flying just to, to have more dynamic range, I guess. And I found that it, I, every time she went into a fast maneuver, I had a hard time standing quick enough and not driving forward because the stand, as, you, as you push your feet down, you kind of tend to drive forward a little bit. And so I ended up, uh, I was doing a lot of jumping where I designed this uh, thing, you know, th- these things where they were, I put two pounds of lead on each foot. And that way my feet were nice and heavy. And every time I needed to bring them down, they just, just relax and they'd come right down underneath me, you know, and it was not a, it was not a push, which the push would generate forward speed or, or other, um, you know, other motion. And this was a way to go straight down, you know, just so... Again, it was kind of a way to put cheat and put a little bit of lead on the feathers of a dart. So with that same thought in mind, do you find that it's easier to fly head down when you have one of these massive camera setups on? I always said, you know, Norman Kent's school of free fly. Just come on over. We put a bowling ball in your head and we <laughs> just relax, <laughs> buddy. <laughs> You're going to be head down real quick. Yeah, it, it, it is in a way. It is in a way, but... Um, um, it really, the problem with head down for me is that your head is leading and I want my head free for aiming. So anytime you go, oh, I want to look at there or do that, you know, it's like you really have to compensate so much with your body. And, uh, and everybody knows I'm not the best flyer out there anyway, <laughs> you know, and I'm just kind of like, um, hanging in there. And, and so head down is great. It's smoother because there's no turbulence in the helmet. Um, but it's uh, it's not necessarily the 
the the only way to fly. But it is smoothest flight for sure, for sure, smoothest flight. Do you know why? You might have a good technical answer. Technical answer when uh, like with your Sony AX thirty three, sit flying with it. There's a bit of chatter mm-hmm. in there. When when you're flying head down, it's a lot smoother. Mm-hmm. Do you know what causes that? Yeah, I think basically you have the the helmet in in the turbulence of dead air, you know, and and that tends to be uh, you know a problem. And the helmet wants to be it's it's better to have it in the flowing air, I think. And it's uh, um there's always turbulence on the back of a car, on the back of, you know, anything in the back of a building, you know, that's why we don't land on the back of a building when the wind's coming over the top of the building, you know, because there's turbulence there. So that turbulence causes that. It's the, it's the same uh, the same problem, but sometimes you got to fly that way to to be in the right zone as far as comfort levels, fall rate, and all that. Like the head up record is kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the more you can get your your head out of the turbulence and into the wind, the smoother the shot is. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why good heavy helmet is a good idea. A good heavy helmet. Which I, I, you know, it's like again on a side note, but I remember the days where we used to, um, I used to put lead on my head on my helmet. Uh, we had these bars. We, I started with putting, uh, you know, the the rigor, you know, the round parachutes when they used to put these long uh, lead, uh, skinny long leg little lead, lead tubes. Tubes, yeah. Yeah. We used to tape those to the helmet, and the idea was that if the helmet is too light, then you got to push it. It's not going with you. You're forcing it to go with you. And when you force it to go with you, it's going to create turbulence. Mm-hmm. Um, the ideal thing is, is for it to go with you and at the same speed. Remember that dance we were talking about? You don't want to go like, hey, I want to go with you. Go this way. I don't care if you want to go or not. That's just not so a smooth you, you didn't dance. want this light helmet trying to pull off no, your head. You, don't you want wanted a dense thing that was coming yeah. with you. And then there's the other side, which is a helmet that's too heavy. Like when I was shooting the 35 millimeter, I was shooting a commercial for coca-cola we haven't gotten to a lot of visual stuff are we okay we're doing good are we we're doing, doing great man okay. you're, you're crushing life. Yeah, if, if people are complaining you let me know you know I, I, I tend to talk too much but anyway i was shooting a commercial yeah that, that only lasted about five seconds <laughs> i'm going back to talking uh, <laughs> um i was shooting a commercial for coca-cola which we won an emmy award which was really uh, not an emmy a clio award it's kind of like the the um the big award for commercials and in this, it was it had a lot of belly. It was a, a commercial where, like, they were going to do it by computer graphics, but we, they needed us. They called us the organic. They needed us to do a few things to capture, so then they could replicate them in the computer and and build this Coca Cola bottle out of like four hundred jumpers, a three dimensional bottle in freefall. And um, and one of the shots required me to be in freefall, and the fall rate was too slow. And that was the first time I noticed that it was like. The helmet wanted to go faster than the fall rate. So I was having to muscle it up, which was painful, and it was like a lot of work. And by the end of the jump, I was spent. It's kind of like if you're doing weights and there's a point where you go like, ah, oh, you know, you're done enough repetitions and you're done, and you gotta, you got to you know, shake your arms or your legs or whatever. It was the same thing. At the end of the jump, I was like spent. And the deployment required me to do certain maneuvers, which required strength you know, certain things with the helmet and all that. So as soon as everybody was leaving break off, you know, and break off, I would sit so I could just kind of like, oh, you know, <laughs> and just kind of loosen up my neck and then put it on my, on, my, um, on my belly to deploy. 
So spend like five seconds in my in my sit and then just go to belly and deploy. So a lot of times the helmet wants to go faster is what I was trying to say. It was rare. Now it doesn't happen as much anymore thanks to digital uh, technology. But that was happening then. And, the, and when the helmet wants to go faster and you got to pull it up, it's not ideal either because um, you're just not flowing with it. The ideal thing is if it's, if it's all the same. And, you know, people ask me, for instance, about my face shield and my helmet, which uh, I think you might have seen some of the pictures go by. Um, the face shield, I developed that idea because it was, um, it was first of all, the, the first reason was to, because I used to lose my goggles. <laughs> so I did a lot of no goggle jumps, you know. <laughs> so I started by actually securing the, the goggles to the helmet. So when I put my face to it, the goggles were already there. Um, and then it developed into not goggles, but just, you know, built in other other ways, I guess. You know, you can see the full face there in the, in the helmet. And then when I put on a cookie helmet, I realized that, or a full face helmet, I should say, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't matter what brand, um, I realized that I had more visibility, that I could see uh, everywhere, that the rim of my goggles, which like if you put your fingers underneath your, underneath your eyes like this, like if a rim of, of goggles, you can not look down as, as much. Your peripheral vision is, uh, in, is uh, inhibited. So then I discovered that if I did a combination of a full face, I would get more visibility, especially looking down. But then, you know, people ask me, well, why don't you just put a full face, you know, helmet, with, meaning like a full face of the shield with your nose in it, you know. And you can see in most of my helmets uh, the, the, um, the nose and mouth are out. And the reason is for the same thing we were talking about, which is that if I have all the dead air inside, trapped inside a visor, that's air and dead space that I have to push through the air. I have to wrestle with it in free fall. Instead of it wanting to go, it's not going to want to go. It's, it doesn't weigh anything. It's just air. But the resistance of the big shield is, 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 is bigger than if I just bring it closer to my face just enough to even my cheeks touch it when I smile you know my cheeks touch it. I have to clean it all the time because <laughs> I'm always smiling and then oh there you go I gotta clean it again and uh, and, and so that made it so it uh, it was less trapped air to push through through you know the elements and uh, and it kind of so th there's always, there's always a little bit of thinking around that you know so do we have any questions from the audience? Yeah, I, we do. But I mean, I, I mean, I love you guys. But I want to be so selfish and ask all the questions. <laughs> I've got some good things coming up here, but those these are really interesting answers because I've known you since I think 2003 is the first time we met at the Freefall Convention, mm -hmm. and I've seen some of the evolution and the face shield. I've man, I've wondered often, and there's been questions I've wanted to ask you about it, but there's always been more important conversations to have with you. So these are really satiating my desires. Um, there's a couple, and, and one thing I want to address, Michael Anderson. Michael, we are going to be talking about Quanta for sure. CBD, I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge advocate. I am a user. Hi, Mike. Um, <laughs> my, uh, Norman, of course, says hi. And we're going to get to that. We're going to talk about CBD we in are. the online store. I want to save that for a little bit later. But Stephen Boyd, I actually want to read how he addresses this because it's really well written. Most oftentimes, skydivers find their niche. Uh, get good at it and continue down that path. What drives Norman to continue evolving with the sport? What does training or prep look like when getting ready for a specific event, free fly versus wingsuit versus RW? Is there any disciplines that Norman does not train? So what drives you to continue evolving? What's training and prep look like for you? 
and what don't you do? <laughs> okay, well, I think the drive, what's important about that, thank you for asking, Steve, and thank you for the support. You guys, you guys always make me feel at home here, uh, and uh, you know, I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, the, the drive, I think, is, is always the photography. Uh, people have to remember that I'm a skydiver, but I'm really a photographer that skydives, and that my passion is the photography. It was my first passion, and I always said, if somebody was to say, hey, you're busted, we caught you having too many passions. You have more than one. <laughs> you know, skydiving is one of them. You have to give something up because you're only allowed one. Then I would choose photography. And, um, and, I, and I don't mean to say that I don't love skydiving and I'm not passionate about it, but, but uh, photography is sort of the, the, the thing I discovered uh, that drove me to, to all this journey. And it is something that I do to express myself and it is something to, I, that I do to show people how beautiful they are. You know, people mo most often, they don't even know how beautiful they are, how beautiful they look. How beautiful they are in free fall. I, I, you know, I've, I've had so many great experiences. Even lately, you know, the centerfold of parachutists. I think is this month, uh, where these people that are, you know, hanging onto this inflatable and you know just wrestling it and stuff. And um, and uh, um, I think I gave you that photo, by the way, but I don't think I even showed it to you. I, I, I maybe I didn't. Sorry about that if I didn't. But anyway, so people that go like, wow, you know, thank you for for doing that. Thank you for capturing us like that and it's like people go like i didn't it's like you turned something uh it's, it's so beautiful and it, to me it's more like it's already beautiful you just just you just need to capture it like that so the photography is what drives me to continue uh because uh and scott and i could do photography in other areas and i do in fact i want to show maybe after yeah that's the photo Excellent. it's in the centerfold and it's also uh, it, right there is just a pure photo without the uh, magazine, but I think people can relate to it because it's in the current magazine. Um, and um, and these people are thanking me, going like, "Wow, man! It's like we just want we just, you know you asked us to go on on this load and you to tell you if we were doing something cool, and and all of a sudden we're in the magazine you know, on the centerfold, and and I'm going like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you you, you guys are beautiful, and uh, and that's what drives me. And and then skydiving is uh, the variables make you there's so much going on that the variables make you tune in in a subconscious way where you have to be really feeling what's going on rather than reacting to what's going on if you see something and you and you go wow okay i think i will chase it you're living in the past you know you really have to um feel it before it happens and meet it you know in a present but you have to see the future to meet that present. Because if you, again, if you let your eyes guide you to where you want to go, then you are reacting to the light that came into your eyes, which already has a delay. And then your brain reacting to that, and then you engaging, and then you following. So that in itself is a journey that is so beautiful that it is the motivation uh, of why I like doing this. You know, so... And as far as there was another question there, I, I can, can't remember all three of them. I can only remember one at a time. That the, 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 what, yeah, training. so that was, that was a drive of what continues to drive you to keep involving. What does training or prep look like when getting ready for any specific events like free fly, wingsuit, RW? I think I can summarize it in one word, pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, like I'll give you an example. I am the worst flyer in the tunnel, in the wind tunnel. 
I'm really bad. I'm not. I really. I mean, you know, I'm really not a very good flyer in in general. And a lot of it is because um, I, you know, people do more jumps than I do. You know, they'll and people specialize in one specialty, and I'm multidisciplined, like we were saying. But what's interesting? So for me, training involves. Um, uh, constant you know going to the drop zone to do fun jumps to train going to the tunnel to spend a few minutes trying to work on my stuff uh even if it's i'm a slow learner and and, and it's uh it's something that i struggle with um just to get the mechanics and to get the the mind body connection uh but really what makes it all work at the end and this is what i'm really most proud of is when i turn that loose and let the photography drive me and what I mean by that uh, is that um, the photography is, if, if you train in a way where you go, okay, do this with your arms and do that with your leg to do this and whatever, that part I just, I just suck at it. But when I'm in free fall and I see something and go, I must meet, I must go there because the future, the present is there in this coming future. And to go meet that, when I go do that, then my body just does it because I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission to capture the image. I'm not thinking flying. It's just like when you get in your car to go shopping. You don't say, honey, I'm going to get in the car and, uh, you know, start the car and go uh, driving and then go to pick up the groceries, you know. <laughs> it's like, no. You say, I'm going to go pick up groceries, and the, the, the driving happens automatically. So it's the same thing. You know, if, if, if my vision is, is a priority, the flying becomes automatic. I may look like hell and have bad habits and all that, but I get there. And the only proof that I have is my photography. If you like my photography, if you like my angles, if you like where I'm, where I, where my perspectives, then you can cut me a little slack on the on the flying. So the the the, the training is a lot of that is is just going through the motions to to make sure the body has is as prepared as possible. And in a multidiscipline environment meaning that the fact that I like doing a lot of different disciplines, there's a point where I just got to let go and let the photography drive me. And the rest of it just uh, happens. I think the last question on that list was, were there any that disciplines that you don't do? Yeah, did, there did is a Did I see a you in, in, a, in a wingsuit this weekend? Yeah, I was in a wingsuit this weekend. That's one of the things I, I like about this project, but it's oh, about this weekend of this event, Jump for the Rose, is that, uh, oh, you're playing... Summerfest stuff. Yeah, yeah hey, there's me and Caroline. Pictures. Hey, Caroline, I hope you're listening. I don't know if she's still logged on. Send us a ping, will you, Caroline, to let me know you're still there, or did you go to bed already, honey? <laughs> um, and uh, I d- in, in places like Summerfest, you know, like if, if you look at Summerfest, there's a, a little bit of everything, um, is um, there's a multi multidiscipline thing, and so you have to kind of change everything. And, um, and I was in a wingsuit and I do, uh, you know, head up, I do head down, I do belly. Um, and the only thing I don't do, or I think, you know, there's a lot of in-betweens. The only thing I don't do is, and I abandoned a long time ago because uh, I was torn like, oh, everybody's doing it. I should be doing it was swooping. And the reason I did that is because I knew it would kill me, um, uh, because I'm not good at it anyway. Uh, I use a parachute to survive, not to show off or to film. Most of the swooping is born from a uh, trying to uh, you know be seen because you, we exist. If you do something cool and nobody's watching, it wasn't cool. 
like the tree in the forest if, if it falls it doesn't make a noise or not <laughs> who knows right you have to have somebody listen so so, so only a show off makes it rain in the middle of a sweep is what you're telling me exactly exactly so the, <laughs> who you calling out over there, my so then so, so then it's uh that was one discipline i said you know and i and the other thing about it is not only i knew it would kill me but when i'm messing with the kind of helmet we were talking about mm-hmm. the deployment is more important a small canopy uh, line twists even or whatever the g-forces and stuff with that kind of helmet is just brutal and i just didn't think uh, it would be a good idea so i i when i saw it leaving me instead of chasing it i went no i'm just not uh, i'm not going to go there so you know on a 135 i'm considered probably the biggest canopy in the in the drop zone these days <laughs> on a still at a 135 so yeah uh, Adam Buckner actually mentions, and, and I have two questions when he say that, what disciplines don't you cover? And you know Adam. Mm-hmm. Adam Buckner suggests crew, and I would also ask XRW. Do you shoot video or, st- or still photography? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Uh, there's an XRW picture yeah, that I, on Summerfest uh, that I just shot, and uh, I was really uh, proud of that one. And, um, oh, that's beautiful. And, yeah. And at the, I mean, that's just the same as wingsuiting in a way. Um, and w- that, that's a funny question because when you talk about crew and when you talk about XRW, there's a big difference between doing crew and shooting crew. Yeah. You know, uh, you know the nice thing about doing shooting crew is that you have to be comfortable around parachutes. Like one of my favorite shots is to go head on to a formation. Like I did that in the hundred way, and time it so it completes. You shoot a picture and they break off, and you just go right through the canopies. You know, gorgeous. <laughs> it's like really beautiful. Yeah. And uh, and you know and and it's like you, all you need is room for your canopy. And you know what's beautiful about it? I pooped a little just hearing you <laughs> make that description. Oh, it's really, I did that, and it's just like. And you know what's wonderful about it is they don't get scared. Those guys are just fearless when it comes to closeness and canopies. In fact. You know, most most disciplines, you you jump, you you get away from each other, and you come down, land, and you try to be away from each other for landing. And here, like you break off, and you're still flying in the same direction, and they're all they're all around you, and you got a guy like three feet around next to you, and this is like two hundred feet, or you know, and you're final, and this guy next to you is like talking to you, like, "Hey, man, what did we get it? What do you think?" And I'm like, "Shut up, man! I'm trying to land." And then you and you try to get away from him, and ten feet on the left is the other guy going, "Hey." That was cool. So you're you're like crowded with canopies and 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 they're so comfortable. So to them, because they've been linked, you know, ten feet is like a, a lot of distance. It's just like a, a motorcycle racing, you know, maniac. You know, you you stop at the pit and they feel like they're going backwards. You know, it's like you, you know they're they're they're, they're coming from a hundred or two hundred miles an hour. You know. So anyway, I hope that answers that question. Um, where are we going next? Do I, we get I think question uh, preloaded because I, I got more. I, I do. We do. Have, do, we, do we have any preloaded questions from other people? Or I do. I want to get some of my non skydiving stuff. I, I wanted to talk I, about my uh, alive. Uh, I do actually. I want to go back to Mr. Anderson. I okay. wanted to say that because I love the Matrix, Mr. Anderson. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Anderson actually brought up Quanta, brought up CBD products. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about CDB, C, CDB, mm-hmm. CBD a bit on the show. Um, I'm a huge advocate. I'm a huge fan, and I'm, I'm very nerdy about the science of it. Also, for me, it, it's a huge benefit. Um, and, and Justin has also used it. But last time you were here, I learned that you are a huge user as well. CBD is something that benefits you. Yeah. How did you get involved? Like, how, how did you get introduced to CBD? What's it do for you? And what's your personal experience with the, with the product? Okay, we can jump into that a little bit. I think, um, in fact, it's, it's funny because uh, we are ready to, we're going to be launching a campaign here just to um, 
you know, to just let all the skydiving community, my my fans and stuff, know not only what I what I what I, my relationship is to CBD, but also that we are representing a specific brand, which is Quanta. There's one of the uh, one of the ads there. Uh, in fact, the, the slogan is uh, "Powered by Quanta," so it's like Norman Kent is powered by Quanta kind of thing, you know. Yeah. And it, um, my relationship, <laughs> I, I can tell you a little bit of story. Uh, Caroline, uh, my wife, and I, um, uh, we talked about, uh, you know. In, uh, investing in the cannabis industry, like somehow getting a little bit of money out there and um, and uh, trying to do something, not like we have a lot of money, but just trying to think about the future, you know. But anytime we thought about it, it's like two guys in a garage growing dope and, and <laughs> you're like, hey, hey, yeah, if you give me money, we can grow more dope. You know, I was like, <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's not what I had in mind. So one time, <laughs> some years back, a couple of years ago, two or three years ago, we uh, we met through a through a friend of ours. We met. Uh, we were introduced to to these people from Quanta, which were starting the company. And these are more entrepreneurs and people that are so good and s- such vision as far as business and uh, and kind of taking businesses out of from nothing and turning them into great businesses. And that sounded more like a thing we wanted to invest. And the thing that that uh, made us really react to it is the Quanta. Um, it has a, we use patented technology, which is a polarization system. It's a, we we are the only ones that have this, and uh, in in this industry, like that that you go to every gas station and there's there's um, you know all kinds of CBD and all kinds of stuff. Uh, you have to think about the range that this is. There is from the Chinese, uh, you know, just throw anything in there and label it CBD and whatever, you know, any kind of other fraudulent stuff that's in there. I don't mean to pick on the Chinese. I'm just I just know they copy stuff you know so there's you never know what you're going to get out there and and because it's such a big industry people don't care what you're getting as a product they just want to sell you something and this was a technology that we invested when we invested it was more about investing in a machine that the technology was about which is a polarization machine which stimulates the molecules uh, to make them vibrate at a higher frequency and and to match this the, the the human brain and the human body, so therefore your receptor, your receptors in the body would would uh, would take in the the CBD much better. Uh, the the interesting thing about CBD and in, in this whole industry is that uh, it's it was unnecessarily illegal for so many years, and it provides so much good for so many people, and that's what turned us on the most. Is like all of a sudden we invested in a company, and we were all of a sudden became like, hey, maybe we could start selling this stuff. You know, we can uh, actually turn people on, turn uh, people on to the benefits and all this sort of stuff. And as far as a user, well, you know, I don't have to tell you, uh, you know, I, I don't think any I can brag to anybody about pain. You know, everybody has pain one kind or another. So, I, you know, I use it for that purpose, you know, when it comes to my helmet and uh, you know, managing of that, back aches and, you know, all that stuff. And, and um which interestingly enough, I'm I'm not I, I'm not prone to a lot of pain, but you know there's always the pain here and there, um, and um, so I I ended up uh, you know benefiting from that, and it's kind of like a if you don't have pain, you can you can feel more comfortable about things, you can feel more aggressive, you can feel more uh, not so stopped per se, you know. So um, and and the wonderful thing about about Quanta was that with this technology, that this technology, what it does is it, uh, it makes, it, it, the bottom line is, is it makes it better. It makes it more efficient than anything else that's out in the market. And uh, because of that, 
In fact, we've signed some really good recent contracts with people that are already have products, but they're trying to have a uh, be differentiated from other products because there's so many products in the market. Mm-hmm. And this was given. This is an opportunity for them to to have an edge on the rest of the market because of this technology. Um, so, and the bottom line is, it works. You know, our our, our whole thing is like put put a, a sample in the hands of a, of a person, and they'll be they'll totally be, you know have the benefits from it so that's how we got involved um it's kind of a little bit of pushing a brand but it's really more about hey you know i, I found relief uh come and join us you know come join me in in in, in getting the same relief uh, it is pathetic that uh there's so many things out there that people are not getting benefit from as far as pain relief and all of that the amount of things that it's that it helps including you know, epileptic, uh, you know, uh, episodes and yeah. seizures and stuff like that and things like that that people are like, wow, I mean, uh, it's just helping me with all that and um, fibromyalgia and all these other illnesses that are really uh, controlled or, or at least helped people are helped by the, by the CBD. So we thought, you know, what a great thing to invest in a company that's going to be doing great for other people and, uh, and also, um, you know, in the process help ourselves you know so um we are it we're actually very excited that that uh that photo you saw was is part of a campaign that we're going to have because uh one of the things i've learned is you know i want to be in my community i want to treat people uh and and turn people on in our community Mm -hmm. to the cbd um um and and to the benefits of cbd specifically the one from quanta so um you know we're going to be sharing um uh, some links there's actually uh, we created some um, quantacbd.com is the is the website, and there's also quanta um, quantacbdvape.com mm-hmm. for the vapes. And uh, and I'm not sure right. There's a lot of it is because of the legalities and all this stuff. But there's two websites at this point that sell those products, though our 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 products, uh, those two. And uh, if you use uh, Sky, of course, you know, you have to call it Sky. Sky 15 is a 15% discount. And nice. uh, we really appreciate if you use Sky 15 because we, when you get there as a first-time user, you actually can um, can get a 15% discount for being a first-time, you know, or for giving your name for the website or whatever. And But uh, if you use ours, you know, then we benefit from it. And I really, uh, since this is my community and my family, I'd appreciate if you help us out by using our code rather than the one that's offered when you get there. Support your family. Support Support other skydivers. So I want to talk a little bit more about your personal experiences and usages. But before I do, I want to address a conversation that people have with me all the time. And it's legality. And I want to make some clarification because I am a very close follower of very few things political, but CBD has been one of them. And if you're questioning the legality of it, for years there was a borderline argument of what, whether it was legal or not. Last December, House, Senate, Congress all signed a bill. December 21st, the president signed it, and it's called the Farm Bill, over $800 billion in subsidies for uh, hemp farming alone. The Farm Bill covered all sorts of subsidies, but $800 billion for hemp farming alone. It legalized hemp production in the United States for the first time in decades. The very next day, December 22nd, and I might be off by a day or two, but I'm positive those are the exact dates. The FDA said we have rules and we have regulations that do not allow the interstate sales of CBD products. I am a huge supporter of the the tincture of the oil I use 
is a company called Select CBD, and I'll talk a little bit more about my use of Quanta because my vape pens, my rubs do come from Quanta, and I've used others, mm -hmm. and so I don't use Quanta. You introduced me to them, and I went and tried some of my others, and I came back to Quanta for a reason, not just my friendship, mm -hmm. but because I believe in your products. Mm -hmm. But the FDA that day, December 22nd, said our policies conflict with interstate sales because of the recent farm bill signage, we are immediately changing our policies. We're immediately changing our procedures. Select CBD, who stopped delivering to Texas because of some Texas laws in September of last year, immediately started redelivering. Mm -hmm. So if you guys and gals are worried about the legality of these products, mm -hmm. I'll tell you, if you're a government employee, you've got to be careful of testing of CBD, which is very difficult. They have to use specific tests. Yeah. But as far as sales and overall usage, the legality is there. And, and Google the hemp bill of 2019, yeah. or the farm bill, and you will find out so much about it. Yeah, this. and I think the bottom line is... Um, whatever still has snags, it's just a matter of time. And it's mm -hmm. a wonderful time uh, in the CBD industry because um, really it's, it's such a good thing. It, it, uh, it, it can free you from, from uh, chemicals and, and other pharmaceuticals that, that uh, you know, may help you in certain conditions but also destroy you in others. And, um, and, it, it, and it's just a matter of time. Uh, a lot of the, the first one of the first things that people did is was worried about how much THC was in there, whether you know if they're blood tested or if they're not, they don't want to get high or anything like that. And the wonderful thing about this is that it's no THC at all in in Quanta. Some other brands have that same situation, but it's uh, it really is things are changing all, all along, and it's really not. Uh, I think people are opening up to that to the fact, and I think the the biggest thing is when people try it and see the benefits. They realize that uh, hey, it's not so, so evil after all, mm -hmm. and and so is the government has turned around. Everything is turning around, and what the parts that are not legal yet or that are not completely wide open, um, as far as uh, you know, like one of the, the newest things was that they they're now approving that like banks were holding off on on helping mm -hmm. people and uh, because in in the industry because like for merchant accounts and bank accounts and things like that because obviously a bank doesn't want to get into something that's maybe federally dodgy per se uh, and and that's just been passed um, recently and uh, the bottom line is it's all turning around so um, it's kind of you know strange that we would get into a conversation that's not skydiving related but I think what's a, I think the the correlation here is that you know I'm a skydiver you're a skydiver. You know, and we are users of CBD. Uh, we are representing a specific brand. Uh, I just gave you a discount code for a wonderful brand. I uh, and I realize what you said, which is the the story that we hear, which is people that try other products and then try Quanta and and realize it's a difference. So when you see, yeah, 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 you know, a lot of times you see. In fact, uh, in this event, we sold very little uh, CBD. We were trying to do some sales and and give the proceeds to the cause, and there was very few sales. And I think what's happening is that. Compared to last year, uh, people are just finding it in every gas station. They're in my grocery yeah, store. They're everywhere. Yeah. So, it, but also what, one of the things you have to look at is, you know, it there's different qualities of it. Hundred percent. And so especially in the gas stations and things like that. But um, even when there's reputable brands and reputable um, uh, outlets for for purchasing, it's uh, it's not the same as the technologies that are out there that are really people that are really investing money on it. Um, and that's why we're so proud to be, you know, a part of the industry, mm -hmm. and uh, and representing that and endorsing the the CBD brand Quanta, which we love. We're 
I'm powered by Quanta. <laughs> Absolutely. If you don't mind, I want to share a little bit of my take on your company. Mm-hmm. And for me, I have zero, zero from your company. I'm, I'm an end user. I pay for the product. I, I, I get nothing out of this. And the, the first thing I want to mention is that third-party lab tested. You've got to be really careful. When I say really careful, guys and gals, I'm supporting what Quanta and Norman are saying. But the reason I say be careful is there's so many companies who go, we're third-party tested to be THC-free. Your buddy Dave in a garage is not a third-party right, testing yeah, your yeah, product. Yeah, yeah. And there have been people who have used THC-free CBD products and who have tested. Yes. Yeah. So you really need to know for sure, are these truly independent, qualified labs doing third-party testing? And I've done the research on where you guys are getting your yeah. stuff done. And they're using reputable labs. Mm-hmm. So, A, I want the best product that I need. B, I want to get what I'm actually getting advertised. And so many of these companies will say, we have this concentration of, T- of CBD. We have this lack of THC. And so often what you're buying in a grocery store, what you're buying in a, in a, uh, a gas station is not what's on the label. Yeah. Well, that's the typical thing we were talking yeah. about earlier. So cool. definitely I, I, I've used other products. CB, I, I, I got to say this, Quanta CBD, one of the reasons that I was questionable or skeptical about the vape pens from you guys at first is when you first look, and I, I want people to know this up front so when they see it, they'll get it. The price might look a little bit more expensive to another vape pen, but look at the concentration yeah. of what's in that vape pen. Bang Absolutely. for your buck, you're getting a a yeah. better product, and then that delivery and, and, system and the delivery system and the the uh, you know the technology that we were talking about. So it's just the same as anything else. You know, when you go, you show up at a Ferrari a dealership, and people go like, "Well, those cars are too expensive." It's like, no, no, they're not. They're you're <laughs> you don't have enough money to buy it. But it's not the cars are not too expensive, you know. And the same thing. But I think our prices our prices are very competitive considering yes, the technology are. that we're we, that was one of the things we really wanted to do. So, um, but anyway, um, maybe we should uh, use Sky fifteen code. And you know, by the way, this is just brand new. Uh, we're just we're just growing in this in this part of it. So, uh, give it a couple of days. Uh, uh, because the code will be will take a couple of days to be. If it doesn't work, you let me know. I'll th- the other thing is that, you know, you can always contact me. One of the things we're going to try to do is is uh, sell the products directly to you, and uh, I, we're trying to work out a, a something where we may have a like a signed uh, print. Of, so I'm going to p- pick some of my favorite prints uh, pictures that I've shot over the years and and do an autograph photograph that goes with your with your order, you know, things like that. That'll just be just to keep it more skydiving oriented rather than um, medicine, <laughs> you know what I mean. So, but anyway, we're going to be thinking about a lot of ideas, and we appreciate the support. Um, but uh, let's get back into visuals and other stuff. What do you think? I had a question relating to. Uh, I'm going to touch on how many different disciplines you do, and uh, uh, kind of debate that we've had here on the podcast before is you mentioned LMB. Mm-hmm. Um, DJ has a really good uh, relationship with LMB that's been standing for quite a long time, and uh, they've taken pretty good care of me also. The ginger's got a nice hat over there. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the question being, do you change your uh, your audible alarms depending on what discipline or what skydiver, or or do you have your audible set at the same altitude on every jump? The lower altitudes uh, are set pretty much the same. You know, I know when I am when I uh, feel that I'm in trouble and I want to, you know, just think about the reserve, you know, mm-hmm. and those don't change. Um, the higher altitudes are, are do change all the time because... Uh, depending, I'm, uh, my higher altitudes are used for um, take your last pictures, make your last move, and also for survival in the sense of people are about to get 
scared crazy, you know, whatever. whatever. Here comes break ah, off and a bunch of people exactly. doing the wrong thing. Yeah, and people are going to try to kill you one way or another because they're not going to look where they're going and they're coming right at you. And, you know, because I'm in the surroundings of, of a formation uh, and like you are, you know, when you're shooting and then, you know, people just kind of go and and they don't always look and, and uh, there you are in their path and that's when collisions happen, especially on the lower part. So uh, my altitude, uh, you know, my audible um, altitude awareness or um, alarms are set depending on the discipline for that. But they're always set higher than, uh, than, than break off. Uh, they're always set more based on the photography, like, okay, you have 10 seconds left, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can make your final move. And then uh, I always want a little bit before their break off. So that's one that changes depending on their break off. That way I can be at, uh, in a defensive mode for the projectiles and, right. <laughs> and come into my trajectory. So. so maybe you can offer some good advice and since you've dodged so many of these mm. human projectiles. Mm. How, how is someone a considerate flyer when there's someone like Norman Ken out there on the jump? How is one a considered flyer in the formation when there's? Yeah, well, like when it comes time to, for break off, who's the person you're not scared of? What what is it? What is doing a good job look like? What is doing a good job is is uh, is a combination of being aware. In other words, uh, most people get so self centered that they uh, the cameraman kind of takes like this. Oh, they're out there, but they don't count. Mm-hmm. And uh, so to really realize that we're all making this. Con- in fact, you didn't even jump unless there's video of you doing it. Just like the conversation of the you know, tree in the forest. You know, it's like, it, 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 without video, you don't exist. You're just, it's just your, your own little ego trip, but it's not happening. So an outside point of view is part of what I'm providing, is part of what I've been hired to do, is part of what you enjoy, is part of what you ask me to play back before I can even take my parachute off. And um, therefore, make me a part of your jump realize that I'm there put me in your head in your head uh when you're planning it when you're as an organizer when you're when you're jumping go like okay when I turn around I need to, I need to know that there is a person or three people out there whatever it is depending on the jump do that second don't make that fear me come at me there I'm an opportunity for a photo you know is if 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 I'm in your trajectory do your best you know, track by me, you know, look cool, do a barrel roll, do, you know, whatever <laughs> safe and, 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 and ham it up and, and uh, let me take your picture, you know, because chances are, you know, it will, we'll capture something together. So there's a difference between respect me. It's like, you know, you're there, you're taking a grip on somebody. You, you have a respect for that person there and what they're doing and you're going to take a grip and you don't want to affect their flying and you, you have a partnership with that person you're in grip with and all the other people are in the formation. I am a partner in that jump. So play with me the same as you play with everybody else. Don't kill me, but also don't fear me. You know, so that, it, it, that level of awareness is more important than a stay away from the cameraman because stay away from the cameraman is like, oh, okay, automatically. The, and you, you lose awareness of other dangers out there and other people that can hurt you. It's not just the cameraman uh, as an obstacle. It's other people too. So, but when you're so aware, you go like, yeah, there he is, you know, no problem. Now you're aware of everything. You know, so you're taking an attitude of being aware of everything that's out there that's a part of your jump. Uh, I just happen to be a small part of it. That's all. You know, so. Well, you, you sure did bring in uh, a lot of visual aids. 
And I'm always curious, you're someone who probably gets asked a lot. I mean, you seem really well prepared for all the questions that we've mm-hmm. thrown at you. Mm-hmm. I feel like you probably get the same equivalent of like first-timer questions that we as working skydivers get, that maybe you're so prepared to answer those questions that maybe you don't get to present the information that you want to talk about. Mm-hmm. So I wonder what your favorite thing is that, uh, that you brought in here. Well, you know, I don't know about my favorite because, you know, people ask me, what's your favorite jump, your favorite whatever? And I say all of them because they're all so different. But in this particular case, I, I think maybe one of the most favorite things that I want to talk about is my, we talked a little bit about last time, but this time it has a little bit of a twist, which is my um, uh, my uh, self-portrait that I call um, Empty Alive. And, uh, and what this is, yeah, I think you have it on the screen already, yeah. Uh, I want to tell you a little story. Don't play it. Don't play the, the, the slides. Let me tell you when, because I, I want to share the story first. Because I don't know if we got into this last time or not. But maybe we did. But basically, this was a time in my life when... And, and okay, b- by the way, the one of the reasons I want to share this is because I think people think of me and see me only through my photography in the sport. But they don't see me as my uh, as a photographer elsewhere or or what my photography is to me as far as almost like breathing you know it's like a it's a, an element of expression for me that's very much a part of me so this was an important time for me because uh, this was a time when i was broken down i was separated from my wife uh divorced and and i felt very off balance and uh i remember thinking i want to express this pain and this uh you know this feelings through my art because i you know even the pain is beautiful in a way. You know, we're all human and so on. And I kept saying, I'm going to express this through through my art. And so, you know, I kept saying I was going to do it, but procrastinating and saying I was going to do it, procrastinating. I was going through different things, even um, sessions with a psycho- psychiatrist and psychologist. Um, and, um, and I remember one time I was like, this time I'm really going to do it. And I came out of there, that session, and going like, I'm, I'm going to do this. I, I, I wasn't sure what the idea was going to be, but I wanted to do a self-portrait of me just being completely empty, completely drained, completely like I don't, like I'm, I'm in pain. I, I don't want to live almost, you know. I wasn't suicidal, but I, I didn't care for life too much. And um, so I went home and started, and I had this little shack, we call it the crack house, because it looks like one. I, I bought this little house that was more to keep somebody else from building next to me, and and we boarded up the windows and stuff, and it was built like so many years ago, and it looks like a crack house, and so we call it the crack house. And uh, it has this porch in the front, and it's got these splinters and nails coming out of it, and these splinters and stuff. And I wanted to do this nude because this, to, I felt that nude was kind of like the empty is like you're raw, you know, like completely uncovered, completely vulnerable, right? Yeah, vulnerable, exactly. So um, what I did is I set up this light. I was setting up a light and all this stuff. And uh, it's a funny story because I, uh, I was setting it up and all that, and and I was almost done, and it started raining, and I was like, "Fuck!" <laughs> like you know, like you know, come on, like you know, and I was blaming everything from you know what a version of God or whatever, you know, I was going like, "What is this sabotage about?" I finally get to do this thing, and you just like piss on me, you know? And I was like really upset and like you know, just ready to just die, you know? And and it stopped raining. And this went all through in a, like a matter of a minute or so, you know, two minutes. And I was like, oh, 
I guess that was just a little Florida rain cloud. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh, okay, you know, no problem. So I continued and I went like, wow, that was pretty intense, you know, because I got so, uh, so uh, mad, you know, and I was like, wow, there's a side, you know, okay, let's, let's go express this, you know. I was really feeling like all the, everything was against me and everyone was against me and, and obviously it was being reflected there. So I set up everything and then, I was. I had this dilemma. Of course, there was cars going by every once in a while in this little street. And uh, so when I found myself, I started playing with it. And the idea was to play with the shadows. So I was naked and I would uh, run in front of the camera because I didn't have, believe it or not, I didn't have the technology in my hand because it's normally something I, don't, I didn't need, I guess. And I didn't have a remote for it. So I, I had to do a self-timer. And the self-timer was set for 10 seconds. So I would have to go back there. And the idea was to play with the body position that would create a certain, um, a certain shadow. And the relationship between the shadow and the, and the body are like two different people. It's almost like you are one and you're connected because the shadows always connect to the, to the object that creates the shadow. So there was a connection there, but you're separated, almost like there's this other entity looking at you. Like you're outside of your normal self because you're not in your element. You're vulnerable, like you say. So the idea was to to play with those shadows. Some of them uh, being close to that. Like if you look at this one here, back yeah, they keep this one here for a little bit because this one has a tricky part of it. Part of the funniest part of the story is that I was set. Imagine the, where the cameras. I'm by myself now, okay, and I'm creating these shadows, and uh, the rain has stopped, luckily, and now. I set it for a 10-second timer, so I'm running through these boards that you can't tell in this picture, but they're splinters and nails sticking out of them, and I'm running to get to this position. And you can see here that if I did, I have to grab my package and pick it up and pull it in between my legs, because otherwise it would be showing, you know, laying there, and, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, get into this pose. And forget the pose. I got to get into the pain mode. I'm in pain, remember? I mean, I, I, the, po the point was to feel the pain and capture this pain. So, and it wasn't hard to get into. All it takes is one like, yeah, I'm really in pain, you know? And, uh, and I was there. So then you take the picture and then you wait and you go like, yeah, I know I probably spent eight seconds doing this whole thing or if not 9.5. And then the picture shot. And then now, what did I get? So like a little kid... I, and I, I really want to like replicate it and and play with it like, but I but I can't because the microphone will go away. I want to I want to play it out for you, but I can't because we're in this confined um, space, and the microphone has to be close to me. But the point is that I would run back there like a little kid, going like, "What did I get? What did I get? What did I get?" And I look back there and go like, "Oh, cool! Wow! What if I did this? What if I did that?" And and then I go set it up again, and now. I set it up and go, boom, do, do it again. Push 10 seconds. Again, run over there and get into the pose. Collect, you know, the package. Get it all done. Change whatever you're going to change. Change your arch or your back or whatever. And do that again. And there was this thing going on, which was the pain that I was feeling was present when I was like, go, okay, feel that pain. And I would go like, oh, and I was really there. And then I was like a little kid wondering what was on the other side of that what had i just captured and i'd run with excitement and go ah so 
you know, and then all of a sudden a car would go by and I go, oh, I run into the house, you know, and, <laughs> <laughs> and one of the cars ended up being the police, you know, so it was like, oh, shit, here's the police. And I was sure they saw me because I was too late on getting out of there. And there's like light and everything. And I'm like, okay, I better get dressed because I'm going to have to answer some questions, you know. And they got they, another they, crazy naked guy out of the exactly, crack house. <laughs> exactly, <got laughs> exactly. So they did actually didn't see it somehow because, uh, you know, I was, I guess I was quick enough and they, well, okay. So I, you know, they went by and they kept going. And th- th- I happened to have a police station right close to my house. So it was a routine thing. Uh, I live in a street that leads to the beach. And um, so what I found was, I, you can play a couple of the images. Um, I found, like, so you can see here that when there was contact with the wall, it was a different thing, a different kind of expression a different kind of, uh, you know, contact and communication with this other part of you, the part of you that is uh, always there for you, the part of you that's always uh, going to be there for you, that has your back, uh, and the part that's lost. Those two have a relationship, and that was what was being expressed here. And so when I made contact with a wall, it was a different connection than when I didn't. If you play the next one, you can see... Um, like here, I'm completely separated from the wall, but yet there's this almost like an alien-looking uh, sh- uh, shadow. So it was a really wonderful thing um, to 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 look at that. And so I created a set of five images that I call Empty Alive. And the reason why I'm telling you this story, show me the next one and see what it's like. Yeah, that one's one of the ones that I really love because that's got the very alien-looking head and everything. And it was really interesting how you could play the shadows based on how you did your back. If you turned your torso a little bit more, it got thinner. If you did your, you know, your tummy a little bit a certain way, if you, you know, arch your back or did, you know, whatever you wanted to create with the shadows, it was like your body was the tool to create something with your, your shadows. That was really interesting. And, um, what I learned and what I, what I caught myself is like, Okay, what the hell is this? Are you in pain or are you having fun? It's like, what the, you know, what was it? And it was such a healing experience. And what I got out of it, and that's why I called it Empty Alive. It's kind of like two, like the two separate sides, uh, is that pain is a perspective. And, uh, and so is anger and so is so many other things. And this was a way to capture that, express that, and also see how I could get into the pain when I chose to and get out of the pain when I was having fun thinking about the photography. So it was a way for me to go, maybe it's not so bad after all. Maybe, maybe if you just focus on the things that you love and on the things that you, that you are as a human being and and so on, the void that is there is okay. You know, maybe it's something you can embrace and, and create, you know, I created art with the pain and that was what I was setting out to do. So it was almost like the message for people that I have when I, when I think about this is that, um, you know, pain and, and the hard times and all of that are really a perspective. It's what we choose to feel based on how we're built and to interpret the things that are going on to us, uh, with us. Um, but we could be interpreting a completely different thing. The same moment this, that has pain in it can be completely converted to that. It just depends on how you do it. And I was switching back and forth so rapidly and in such a short period of time that it made it obvious it almost was a completely healed like okay well let's just drop this other part and and move on so it was really interesting and the part that i really wanted to bring because we've talked about this story a little bit and i hope people get inspired by it i I want you to, to see the photographer that's not the skydiver but i wanted to share something with you a little story don't go on to the next photos because they're kind of a surprise (laughs) it's um 
that later on I realized, and this is part of the story, which is that this rain that was this unfair incident from nature to stop me and sabotage me also created an idea, which was like, wow, that rain looks so cool. And uh, in some of these images, it's hard to see, but you can still see the, the raindrops coming from the, because it, you know, it was just, had passed, but it also sprinkled a little bit more, and I didn't worry about it anymore. I figured if my flash blows up, so be it. <laughs> and, but the, the little water that was coming from the roof, all of a sudden it was like so beautiful. It wasn't fitting for the shoot, but I discovered, like, wow, look at this cool idea. So then years later, when I found uh, happiness again, uh, and I met my, my now wife, Caroline, I wanted to express uh, the same scenario as far as the same place, but express it with, uh, with what was the sabotage then, which was now beca- became a tool and a beautiful form of expression. And that's when I shot these images here. Which I share well. The, the, so when you see that this is a, I didn't know how many we had, so <laughs> we might be one more. That here, first of all, that's the image that I was talking about there. So now you can see the rain. Now I created the rain with the sprinklers and stuff like that on the roof to create that curtain back there. The curtain that by being backlit was creating this beautiful backdrop, and then the backlit created a shadow with her. That was super interesting, and the thing that made it full circle here is first of all, I love working with her because we we you know we have a lot of fun doing these kind of experiments, and one of the things that's nice about this is that I you know it's hard to get somebody to help you throughout these crazy projects, but when somebody's with you they're your mate and they're your partner uh you know they they kind of go along with you and help you out and they're and they're all about it and and uh so this was a way to for us to share something together that had come from an experience that was completely negative at the time, but was turned around. So now that was kind of a way to do a full circle and go, look at what, and and that was the thing I wanted to show as a message I wanted to share with the audience is that look at what, um, what a negative uh, experience created as an opportunity for an idea that I would have never thought of had I not had this problem with the rain. You know what I mean? So it, it, uh, it's kind of like a be careful what you call negative because it may just be, uh, you know, nature just showing you an opportunity. It's just maybe wasn't for then. And I have so many other stories about the same concept where things you go like, I can't believe I was sabotaged like that. And you're going like, you're just not seeing into the future enough. This will be an opportunity once you get out of this space that you're in. You will see this as an opportunity. And it's ironic that it would come in a time when you're feeling negative and it become an, an opportunity. So that's the image that we created. And the funny thing about this, I also, um, is uh, uh, there's a couple of stories there. I'm not sure which photo is next, so I'll, I'll tell a couple of them and then we continue. Is that um, one thing was that you know, I always thought women took a long time to do their hair and their makeup, you know. So I'm going like, you know, she's going to be there for a long time. And, and I got to set up the lights and, and the rain. Of course, I got to set up the rain, you know, the rear sprinkler and all this stuff. And uh, 
so soon enough, she came and said, I'm ready. And I wasn't. You know? <laughs> so she's watching me get ready uh, for, for the shoot. And all this fun thing to do with me, which was to shoot a, a, a photo of her, became kind of like this, when the hell are you going to be ready, waiting for me, you know? And so I caught a picture of her, which will pop up here soon enough, um, of her waiting for me. And she's like, has this look of just like, <laughs> I've had enough. And it was so interesting. And I love her for it because she was so patient. And she, she waited till we got to this part because to, to follow through all the way with it. And the other thing that we did is, I want to show you some of these photos. Let's see what comes up next. Uh, and I'm sorry, this is one of them. Uh, I'm sorry for the people that are only listening. I hope you come back and, 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 and look, because this is very visual. I am a visual person, so it's hard for me to just talk and not show you stuff. Um, this is a, a, uh, an example of the play in shadows. The curtain of water is still in the background. And what I'm doing is, this is a representation of two people that have their backs to each other which means they are individuals. You are not one. And I don't mean like you're not one as a couple. It just means that you cannot be one unless you're an individual first. So this is a representation of that. And then the shadow represents the unisons of the two uh, in a different perspective in the same moment, just based on how the light is being played. So the shadows are looking at each other and holding each other's hands while we are apart facing the opposite directions and i think that that is a, a beautiful way to show the individuality the 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 strength that comes from individuality and and that's a, as a as a, a contribution to to your partner and the result being the shadows which is the unison of a relationship so if you're just watching this online or if you're just listening to this on the podcast Go online to Facebook and look at the one twenty-seven minute, one hour twenty-seven minute marker. This picture alone, the duality of what mm. you just described is, is beautiful. But the image you just can't replicate in words, man. This is beautiful. Thank you. And this other image here is the same thing. You know, we're facing each other now. It's a full body. And what's interesting about it is, and that's one of the things that Caroline learned working with me and stuff is that. I didn't have this image in mind when we went to shoot. It was more like we went to shoot this other image in the curtain, her dressed up, uh, the, the miniskirt and all that, and then was like, hey, let's play with the shadows again because those shadows became my friends. You know, kind of like, hey, I got so much out of it. Let's just see what we can play with. So all these ideas that came from, from the shoot, and what I'm trying to share with that is that, um, that sometimes the biggest rewards just come from being in action. In other words, if you just get an action for this photo shoot, if I could just get an action for this photo shoot, I didn't know this would come as a reward, as this image representation of this. But it was there. You see what I mean? If I, if I had not been in action to create this photo shoot, I would have never discovered this image because it didn't come in my mind first as a, hey, let's go create this with a shadow. It was more something that went like, let's just go play and see what we discover, and this is what we discovered. So uh, that's one of the things that drives me, and, and when you come back to skydiving, it's kind of the same thing. When I put my helmet on with the cameras, when I you know, try to go on a load, when I get on, on events, when I do all this kind of stuff, a lot of it is, let's go see what's out there. Let's go see what, what the world has to offer. Because all I can do is, is, is do the mechanics of being there, and of going through the motions, and putting up with all the variables, and the weather, and the you know, the fact that we only have so many few minutes one at a time of working time in a day and all these things that kind of work against you. 
uh, and you have to work hard to, to get to those moments. But once you're there, there's more that you don't know you're going to find until you're there looking at it. And that's why I, I love doing this stuff. And this is uh, an, an ex, uh, a representation of the same thing on the ground. So it's not a story that's exclusive for the ground, uh, for ground shooting. This is exactly what I do in the air. You just go and see what's there, and, and you discover it and hopefully capture it as, as, as it comes. And sometimes, uh, and more often than not, um, you know, you don't even know it's there, and you're kind of asleep when it happens. You're in a little bit of a subconscious mode, and, and then you come back and go, what just happened? And then there's the magic, and you go like, wow. And, and you're kind of not even sure who did that. But what you do know is that you are responsible for being there. And then being open to whatever happens and whatever's going to unfold in front of you. So uh, my message is be in action and, and um, discover whatever possible futures come at you and create those circumstances and those um, futures for you. So I hope that makes sense. It, no, I love the beauty you create out of the darkness that you endure. Mm -hmm. And I love the, the message that you bring to that. And one of the things that this brings me into is today I've had two conversations with two different people that were the same conversation. Earlier today I was hanging out with Thomas Hughes, and he, by the way, he said hello. Mm -hmm. And Thomas and I were talking about how wonderful it is to work with our wives. He works with his wife full-time at Spaceland San Marcos. I work with my wife part-time at Spaceland Houston. And it's such a wonderful place to be because our wives understand us. They read us. They get us. Mm -hmm. And so, so often you'll see us connected through work. And then this evening before the show, you talked about how you're constantly connected to your wife and how she's constantly the center of photography for you. And it's not because of your bias of love to her. Mm -hmm. It's because she understands Because you play with me like there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, she's in, in uh, Parachutist this month. She's been in the Parachutist cover before. Um, and she's in uh, one of the things, you know, you, I find myself going like, okay, uh, is you know is it because she's my wife and I, I, am I pushing that my wife be published and that's not the case at all. It's that you know when we are together, we're talking, we're having conversations about different ideas or whatever. We're going to events together. She knows what I want. She knows what I think. She knows how dangerous I can be or not be. So all of a sudden, you know, we could be. I mean, this happened to us many times. We can be in the same airplane, not on the same group, but we find each other afterwards and go like oh there she is there he is and then we find each other and shoot a picture under canopy and like one of the pictures i shot of her over Summerfest, um you know normally you try to shoot that of somebody else and they go ah and they just run away you know <laughs> you go hey come back here you think people don't don't know what to think and what's safe and what you want and you know i go head on at people i did that today i do it every time go head on and people try to get a picture and they just whoa turn away because they they think you know oh I want to be in the way, you know, saying here's somebody that goes, hey, you know, maybe, you know, maybe he needs some help, you know, and, and, uh, and that's one of the reasons, uh, you know, she ends up in my, in front of my camera a lot. We, we, um, we play a lot because we like doing it and because she knows what I want and she trusts me and, and I trust her and, and, uh, and that's a wonderful thing to be able to work that way, you know, so, um, it's not that I'm trying to publish my wife, it's just that she's the best subject out there when, when it comes to that kind of kind of stuff, you know, so uh, she ends up in front of the camera and uh, and earns that slot. Every time she's been in the magazine, she's earned it. I 
I never said, hey, here, take a, can you please publish this picture because it's my wife. You know, it's always like you're not supposed to know who it is. You know, and then the magazines go, oh, I want that picture. And then, and then you know, you got to give them the name because it's part of the credits. But it's not, uh, hey, would you please publish this? You know, it's never like that. If, you, if the image doesn't stand alone, it doesn't, it doesn't get uh, picked by a magazine. And not everything is for magazines. Some of it is just for us. Like the pictures we were just looking at are, are more images that we create for fun. We've done a lot of fun photo shoots. So, so thank you, Caroline, for helping me with all that stuff and for being my partner in creating all of that and for being patient when I take too long to get the cameras really longer <laughs> than your makeup. <laughs> I, I do think it takes a significant element of bravery mm-hmm. for, for any, from anyone who is willing to engage on the, you know, looking into the lens side mm-hmm. of the camera. Mm-hmm. Because it's, I mean, anyone who's had a camera pointed at them knows that discomfort of when yeah. you discover that someone's actively watching you. Yeah. And when you can take that feeling and play with that feeling and engage with the camera and add to the photo and add to the, you know, add to the video, add to what's captured... Not everyone has that ability, so it's a that's true. That's a very valuable thing, I think. It is, yes. So thanks again. So next, any more questions, or, or have we done three hours? Well, or no, <laughs> we we have uh, we're we're really pushing along pretty good. But I do. There's a conversation I really want to have tonight, um, and it, it's so hard because we have such a great selection. But one of my favorite things in the world are things that fly. I mean, that's what we do. We we've dreamed of flight as human beings our entire lives, right? And one of my favorite things that fly are birds. And you've actually got to fly with the fastest thing in the world, the fastest bird in the world, and that's the peregrine falcon. Mm-hmm. So I would love to hear your story about it and let people understand what we're even talking about with that peregrine falcon uh, photo shoot. Yeah, I, I would I would be glad to talk about that. Um, one of the things I that we talked about doing, and, and it's not really practical, is uh, normally, like I do I do these uh, talks live on on a stage and... And normally when a question like that would pop up, the first thing we would do is show the video, and, you know, which is three or four minutes long. And it's not practical, especially for the people that are uh, watching, you know, or they're listening only. Um, but there, there are videos, you know, that you can look, can look at the video in my, in my websites. Uh, I think the one that has the most complete set of videos and so on is one, uh, that I can refer you to is called skydiving movie productions. And, uh, Although normankent.com, which is the other one, is uh, normankent.com is more skydiver oriented. That's where you'll find my uh, the, my shoots for the events that I attend and all that stuff. Um, skydiving movie productions is more of a commercial site, more for catering for the movie industry and commercials and things like that, so they can see what we're capable of as far as uh, commercials and the equipment that we use and all that. But that has an extensive selection of of pieces and in there is uh you can see several pieces that i would love the audience to take a look at um and then we'll start talking about it and show some stills um and uh that includes pieces that i've done uh, as far as insights that i've had in-house kind of things uh commercials uh, pieces from feature films and all these other things that are in there so you should go explore that it's it's uh, interesting and you know happy to answer any questions uh regarding the falcon um, I think we ha- I have a selection of photos and stuff, and I, it's it's a fascinating thing for me. I feel so privileged uh, because it is a unique thing. There are so many things that we do that other people do, but this is one that very few people have done: is to fly with a bird and to and to have that experience. Um, and uh, when I first the, the the way this story was came to be is uh, I was part of a round robin formation 
or a group of people, which was uh, we were going bouncing around different drop zones in Washington State. Um, so we'd make a jump and then take off and land and jump into a different drop zone and then take off and jump into a different drop zone and just did that. And one of the stops was in a place in the San Juan Islands in Washington State um, where when we landed, we were in a, uh, we were in a f- kind of like a house farm that was, um, um, it was the Franklin family. And uh, and it was a beautiful spot, grassy strip. Uh, and, and this guy, you know, wonderful family. And when we were there, you know, we spent a little time there chatting, packing the parachutes and all that. And then uh, they were telling me about him having done this. You know, he's a falconer and what, having done this before. And he was, like, trying to show me this video. And he pulled out this VHS video, and it was like, there, you know, and going like, where? <laughs> Where's the word? Like, there, didn't you see it? Like, no, you know, and then we'd freeze it and go frame at a time, and there, the bird was a blur, like a, a one or two frames. It was just pathetic, you know, but the idea, the idea was, was wonderful. The, the whole thing was fascinating as far as what he had done, which was train a falcon to fly with him, but he didn't have that bird anymore. He was not doing it anymore. He was just trying to show me, and I said, listen, if you ever do that again, I'd love to shoot that. And uh, he says, oh, well, I don't do that anymore. I said, okay, well, if you ever do. And I put it on my calendar, and about every three to six months, depending on, you know, I'd like the alarm would pop up in three months, but then I might not, you know, push it back another three months. So I'd call him every three or six months and go, hey, you know, have you thought about that again? He says, nah, I don't do that again anymore and all that. And uh, so I did, this went on for a couple of years, two or three years, a few years, you know, actually several years. I don't know how many. Uh, I'd have to look in my logs and see when I shot that, uh, that round robin and when we actually shot it to see how many years went by. But I kind of, you know, went through the motions, but was kind of given up on it. And at that time in 1997, we released Willing to Fly. So while we were finishing up Willing to Fly, my wife, Deanna, had just died and, um, I was in danger of not finishing the film. I thought that I was going to die after finishing the film anyway because there was no point in living other than finishing that film. And uh, I was in that kind of space. And, um, you know, then later on, you know, uh, I met somebody that helped me um, realize that, hey, you know, if you're not going to finish the film, just say you're not going to finish it. And if you're going to finish it, then finish it. You know, but you're tormenting yourself with this thing, you know, and uh, and you know she helped me see. Uh, this was uh, somebody I actually married, my my uh, second wife Nicole, and uh, she helped me see that, you know, I needed to put a conclusion to this, even if it meant just letting go of it. So, and the film had its characteristics that were that we were searching for perfection. Everything we shot, uh, we were going to shoot again and again two or three times because every time I shot in the past, we would find new ideas. And I thought, what if we made a film where every subject that we shot, we shot whatever we could think of and then we discovered new ideas and then we'd reconvene a month or two later to shoot those new ideas. And that way you would explore things that you didn't know were there. So anyway, this was a great formula for reaching perfection, but the problem is you can never reach perfection. So this went on and on and on. I know I'm sidestepping to the... But the point is that the film was never going to be finished if I didn't put a stop to it. 
And one of the solutions was, hey, maybe you can always make a part two or whatever. And I finally said, okay, I'm not going to shoot anymore, but there's these two parts or a couple of parts that were very important. One of them was a recreation of that part, that story I told earlier, um, which was the Cyprus story, which where, where my wife lost track of altitude and she almost went in. And so we recreated that because it was in, in order to illustrate sort of between lifetimes, you know, between life and death, like, you know, you're dead, but you somehow came back kind of thing. You barely made it. And that was one of the important things. And there was another thing. I can't remember what it was. And so we made a deal. Like, you're not going to shoot anymore. Nothing else but those things. And then you will complete this movie. And I went, yes. Okay, so let's go on. And I don't think it was half an hour later the phone rings. And it's Ken Franklin. He's in Australia. He's a FedEx pilot. And he was in Australia. And he goes, hey, it's me. Guess what? I got a new Falcon. And I'm going like, fuck. (laughs) 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 And I, you know, I'm like telling her and going like, oh, man, we got to put this in the movie, you know. So that's, uh, this is how it came to be a reality. So I went back. He went to training. He said, I need a couple of months of training because the training of the bird is uh, very unique you know you basically the bird learns that this is mama you know which is uh, and how the birds of prey you know they they love to hunt so if you want to eat we go hunting and the way you hunt is we go up and jump you know we get out of the airplane and go and this was a fascinating thing and, and it was something that i always wanted to do and it was coming to reality and it came through this fluke of just landing this is talk about an opportunity just falling in your lap meeting this person and me saying, hey, let's, let's shoot it for real, and then him being interested again. So it was just like all of a sudden I stepped into this thing. And uh, it was a fascinating thing, and we learned so many things. Um, and one of the things that was interesting was at, at first we wanted the bird to come and take the, the food from his hand. And the bird kept engaging, but only to a certain... Um, yeah, you can play the slides and we can come back to them. The bird kept engaging to only to a certain distance, but wouldn't take the lure. And we thought, okay, maybe uh, you can. In this picture here, you can see. I'm going to rattle through some of the pictures, and then I'll continue. Uh, you can see the, the uh, wing of the airplane. So we'll get back into that in a minute, and, uh, because I know people want to know how we got the bird up there. Um, there's a bird and and Ken Franklin. Um, just just for the people who don't know the story and who are maybe just listening, when you say flying with the falcon, you mean that you're in free fall. We're in free fall, and the, yeah, this is very important. And it'll come to be, in the story later. It'll come to be very clear because um, what happens is that we, you know, the bird we would take the bird in, into in the airplane in a Cessna 182 at about ten thousand or eleven thousand feet. Uh, we would open the door and throw the bird out. And I mean throw <laughs> the bird out. And the reason why we threw the bird out is because um, uh, because the... I'm sorry, I keep looking at the pictures getting distracted because this is supposed to be way at the very end. <laughs> um, and um, so basically the reason why I, I... You know, we were worried about this. Uh, like, why are you throwing the bird out? It seems kind of mean. And uh, And what I learned is that the bird wanted to get out of the airplane. If you took the hood off and let go of it, it would fly out immediately because the bird knew this was hunting time. So, but if the bird get out of the airplane unassisted, it could easily hit the tail. 
So, you know, because it's just, just too much fluffy stuff <laughs> thrown out. It's like a pilot shoot, you know, it's just going to go into the tail of the airplane, you know. And so the idea, and, and I saw that uh, with my own eyes when, you know, one time the guy was talking to the pilot and then took the hood off and, and the bird just left. And, and luckily he went under the, the, she went under the wing. Bird was name was Frightful. Um, so any, anyway, the, we would take the bird up in the air, throw it out of the airplane, and then fly a, sm- a slow circle. And the bird would fly formation, which is what you saw in that photo uh, where the t- you saw the tail of the airplane, would fly in formation with the airplane. We would get out on the step. Yeah, that's the, the image there. We'd get out on the step, and then the bird would engage closer and closer and closer and closer. When we thought the bird was close enough, we would exit, and the bird would just change its configuration from flight and flapping the wings to a dive to, to keep up with us. And what was interesting about it, it was fascinating. The whole thing was fascinating because the, the bird would come to us and all this stuff. And, and, um, and then, you know, we started with all these uh, really weird experiments because it was like um, uh, one of the experiments we did was like put the lanyard in a, like in a three or four foot lanyard, put the lure in a lanyard. Um, because we thought that that would give the distance to the from the master, and then maybe the bird would come and grab it. But instead, the lure was all moving around, and and uh, to a bird of prey, um, any kind of movement when they're chasing another bird, for instance, signifies uh, a change in direction of flight. So the bird would be really like, whoa, 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 where's 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 my prey going? you know, because it wouldn't stand still. So we tried all kinds of different experiments, and we ended up with an experiment where, or a, a solution where we ended up uh, putting the lure in free fall at the same speed as us with the lead and then little bird uh, pigeon wings and little meat and stuff like that. And then the bird would come down and grab it. And we were there shooting it. So it was fascinating and some of the stories are really, really unique because uh, you can move forward and we can talk about it as the pictures come forward. Um, like one of the times I remember the I remember Ken going like, well, I wonder how we make it so the so the lure doesn't spin because it was still moving like spinning or st- you and uh, you keep going to the photos and see if we can come up with uh, some some that are related to the story. And um, so. Ken was changing the shape of this lure, which was basically, uh, you know, lead inside this pouch. And when he changed that at one point, uh, there's the bird engaging there. At one point when the, when the bird, um, when he changed that, there was one time when the bird, when the, when the lure went, you can see right there. I'm sorry about the people that are just looking at That is an amazing photo. Right there, the the bird is just getting ready to catch the, the lure, um, and uh, let's see the next one. I think it's yeah, I'm catching it right there. And uh, and the, uh, so the, so when the bird was um, was trying to come to the lure, you know, it was really it was really um, kind of distracting for for the bird. Anything we were doing, you know, so it was really. Um, I kind of lost my train of thought. Where was that? What was I saying? <laughs> I, I got lost in that photo too. That's amazing. Yeah, I got lost in that too. I know what I was saying is that there was one time when the lure went super fast, faster than we were going in free fall. And by the time you react to it and get on your head and do all this other stuff, there was, there was too much confusion. The bird wasn't going to engage. 
So I decided to do something different, which was um, the bird was above me, the lure was behind me. So if you think of it, the lure was lower than me in, in free fall. I was on my back looking up at the bird. The lure was behind me. And I thought, you know what? you're going to have to go around me to go to that lure. So I, I went the opposite, away from the lure, and I flared on my back, going towards the bird, going like, you're going to have to get around me. Because, you know, the bird was determined. So the bird dove and went past me, and it was just magnificent to watch it dive right past me. And it, it felt like it looked at me, and it just spread its wings just for a moment as it went by the sun. And you'll see a picture of it here in a minute. Um, and, and it was just like, like, looked at me like, see you later, you know? And that's <laughs> when I really got the sensation of what you're talking about is like, we are falling and the bird was flying. We think we fly. There's that, there's that shot. This is a shot. This is like the bird going right by me. It spread its wings and went right by me in the film. When you see it in the film, you get to see this really beautiful image of the bird doing that. And then it tucks its wings and keeps going. And it's just super amazing. Um, and that's when I felt small as far as a flying critter, you know what I mean? And the thing that was funny also was that the, the bird also learned that we got scared. The, the bird learned that at a certain altitude, we would disengage. So the bird started holding back. And then at like, you know, three, five or four grand, we'd go like, ah, oh, okay, we didn't get a shot. And we'd leave and the bird would engage. Because the bird didn't have an altitude problem, you know. It was like, <laughs> you guys are scared. I'm just going to wait till you guys are not comfortable anymore, and then I'm going to engage. <laughs> you guys are gone. So that became a no-no, you know. So then um, here's uh, this, this image here is, I'm going to stop the story. This image here is one of the most beautiful ones because we caught the bird getting the closest to the, to the, this is one of the earlier ones when, when he had the lure in his hand. And it's just a beautiful image. It ends the piece. Uh, of the bird engaging with it with the, and this is a truly a, the image of the bird in, uh, flying with the master you know um so going back to that that other story so we we're going like well we can't have this there's a, that's closest right there the closest that we got and um and so we went okay here's what we're going to do is we can't reward the bird for because then the bird's just going to just wait until we're tired of free fall and we're going to get scared so we're going, how do we, how do we, so, the, so we, the guy ended up jumping with two, two lures. One is a dirty sock and the other one was the, the real lure. So then depending on if the bird engaged, this is all experiments. Remember, we're learning. We were just going like, wow, oh, we don't know what to do. And, um, and so then if the bird would engage, it would give it the lure. If the bird didn't engage and we ran out of time, it would feed it a, a dirty sock. You know, but the reason this came to be is because the first idea was, and this is the interesting part, the first idea was just don't give it the lure. Take it with you. But guess what? The bird's going after the lure. It doesn't care how far and where you're going to go. It's going after the lure. And the bird knew he had it in his hand or one of us had it in our hand. So this one time that we went through this layer, and this is I, I, we're shooting uh, slow motion, 200 frames per second in movie film, 16 millimeter. I had 17 seconds worth of film. And the bird, we went through this little layer, and the bird didn't engage. So we we're like, okay, there was no, no lure to be given, no nothing. So somehow 
We'd lost track of the bird. And somehow I'm deploying. And as I deploy, the bird misses me by inches. Like just goes by me like so fast. And I'm like, wow. And then I'm getting line stretch and the bird's like flying in front of me like really aggressive. And then I'm like, wow, what the hell was that? You know, like I knew what it was, but it's like, where'd that come from? And what had happened is the bird said, that's my food. And it was my pilot chute. <laughs> yeah. And so what happens is there's the, there it is. There's the result. The bird comes around and comes at my pilot chute. And so I'm, I'm, just, I'm just getting like getting situated. And I feel this tug and I'm going like, what the hell? And it's this bird that's going like, you know, I got it, I got, I got my prey. You know, it's got, you know, going, you little shit. What you, you know, what you, <laughs> poke some holes in my pilot shoot and stuff. It had me really good. And there's a really beautiful video piece that I wish we could share, but it's just, uh, again, we're being respectful to the folks that are on audio only. Man, I say screw those yeah. folks. Yeah. <laughs> that video's around. Let's watch. Yeah. Bring, well, bring it there up. we go. But not, not that one. Show the other one. Show the other one. The other one is related to this. This, this one you were about to play. This is the one right here. And now it starts with, and you can put the audio if you want. I don't know if that's, people can hear it, but yeah, it's just music so we can talk over it. That my shots actually starts with the bird in, in the in the pilot shoot because that's when I actually went, okay, well, I noticed it you and I was able to shoot. something worth filming, right? Yeah, and, and I, seven, I, there was something worth filming seconds. before, but it happened so quickly. So it, at this point, it leaves my pilot shoot. So my shot started in the pilot shoot and it leaves. But what was fascinating is that the bird kept flying around me like um you know like trying to come back and all that and again this was uh 17 seconds worth of film in real time so it, it turned out to be longer in in real time uh, or in uh, in film time but uh so the bird stayed with me and all that i i wish i had the part of of it going by me but just the the i think that the the thing i'm trying to address here is you know what a privilege to be flying with a bird and have this kind of experience and have this kind of uh, interaction with the bird and have the, this uh, you know yeah see you later I, I don't you know I don't get scared of altitude and all that and I think it come, brings me back to the beginning of your question which is you know how do you feel about that um, as far as the flying whether real or the creature that really flies I mean we we're falling and we're pretending to be you know we're flying to a certain extent but not like that you know so it uh it's a really short flick and there's a you know the actual part of the the falcon if you could want to play it in the background you can the other the other flick uh so people can get a few and i should say that this part of the uh was the ending of my film willing to fly and where there's a guide that's talking about taking different shapes because the guide turns into into nothing you know that it turns into energy and flies and visits different parts of our sport, different disciplines. And now the guide has turned into a falcon. Uh, and the guide is basically just to kind of keep, uh, kind of like a, like a tour guide through different disciplines of the sport. I don't know if you ever saw Willing to Fly. It's on a shelf right behind you. All right. Yes. It, yeah. <laughs> can people still get a hold of Willing to Fly? You can. It's a, it's a DVD program called Willing to Fly and, and NormanKent.com in the store. Uh, and you can. It's in via, in uh, in uh, DVD form, which is not in high def. Uh, someday maybe we'll uh, release it in high def. It's just a lot of money to retransfer all the film. Um, but uh, the you know this was the piece that we were that we were ending. And you can see here one of the things to notice is this is 200 frames per second being played back at uh, at 30. And right there, this normal speed. 
right there. And that's slow motion, the same shot. So we combined the normal speed and the slow motion just so you could see the different dynamics um, that go on and what it looks like in real speed versus the slow motion because we had video running in conjunction with the with the movie cameras in slow motion. So there's a bird coming down at the lure. And this was an opportunity to shoot. And, um, to shoot. and, and again, for those that are just listening, uh, we're watching the, the bird just coming down. Uh, we're going at 120 miles an hour or so, and the bird's coming down to, to, you know, to intercept the lure. There's that part where it just went right by me, just blew right by me and just spread its wings, and then it tucked the wings again. You see the wings back to diamond shape and just kept going, you know. And that's what I, this was a shot we didn't have because up to then the bird was coming to us and ending there, like the stage was in front of us. And this was where the stage was below us, so you could see the bird flying past us rather than flaring. You know, one thing is, is to be in the landing zone watching somebody land, and another one is to be at 2,000 feet watching the parachute go by you or something if mm-hmm. you were stationary, like in a helicopter or something. And that's what the experience we had. And one of the things that was interesting, which we can say here while we're watching, is that that resulted in a National Geographic uh, uh, documentary that we did. And they wanted to explore the maximum velocity of the, they actually call the, the documentary terminal velocity, the maximum velocity of the bird. So what we did is we ended up setting the stage below us. So every time we had those heavier lures, and my job was to uh, was to to watch the man, yeah you see that's the normal man, speed. sorry to interrupt but man you guys who are just listening to this you are missing this so is well you're gonna have to come back and watch because it's really cool 100 percent and uh, and you can see there the but you can see how it's arriving you see the flaring part yeah. uh, you know back that up a little bit because I want to talk about something real quick just a second just a few seconds right there okay watch this boom see that it missed. Like a skydiver mistake, it reached. <laughs> it reached. <laughs> Never reached for that dog. And it was pissed off. It came around for a second pass. Just like a skydiver, it went to the formation and just reached and just, wow, just yeah. got out, got blown out of there. That's why I thought it was interesting. Like, you reached, you little shit. <laughs> so that was uh, that was really cool. This is like, the remember that shot? This is like the very inspirational part of the film, the very end. We have some poetry going on through here and willing to fly. And you can see the bird kind of adjusting its flight. And right there, it just gets tucked in again to come down to, to, to the master and, um, you know, towards the end. But uh, again, uh, going back to the other part, is it, it inspired a documentary uh, for National Geographic. And in that documentary, my job was to sit in the path, which we discovered through the shooting, in the path of the bird so we could shoot it at its at its most tucked in, most dynamic position, trying to chase a lure that was far below. So it was trying to do its maximum, most efficient uh, position to go down to, to to catch up, just like we do in skydiving, you know. But, it's, it's you know, uh, obviously it was the bird. So it was really interesting because uh, we got to explore a different part of it, not the arrival part, but the going to it, because we already had the arrival part uh, shot here. So, and then the other shots that you had there, the still photos, remember the first ones I said they're a little bit too, too early. Um, those were the ones that would, uh, would, I was, where I was uh, sitting in the airplane with this big chest thing, that one right there. We did a, uh, um, we ended up shooting a IMAX film and that's the IMAX camera. There's a couple of photos of the same thing you can see. How it's heavy like is eight, that camera? It was 85 massive. pounds. Uh. Huh? Yeah, 85 <laughs> pounds. So it was kind of like treated like a tandem. 
Um, and uh, and the, the difference here is that I'm used to shooting with my head, so you could point the camera with your head. And here you had to tilt your body and use the wings to, to let the air spill with the wings and propel forward so you wouldn't backslide if you're tilting the, the camera up. So you would tilt the camera up and down based on the framing. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 but everything was set kind of like a stage again in front of the camera. And, and what are you filming with that, with the that burn, massive camera? Same thing. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. For those of you just listening, just basically picture Norman is taking a camera so large that it's a tandem passenger. He has a hook up in front of him like a tandem. Yeah. So he, he has a belly mounted huge rig that weighs 85 pounds. Right. Mm hmm. So, so with a normal camera, you use a ring sight, you use different things. Right. Same with this camera. No, are you- it was just, just, just the thinking of, you know, imagining where it was pointing. I'm, I was, I'm very good at that in the sense that, um, I've done that a lot. Like, you know, where you have a camera in your hand and, and, uh, it's, it's one of my pet peeves with, uh, with people that do tandems and, and, and point the GoPro at the, at the, at the, uh, passenger, but are not really paying attention at like. Is the camera which way is it framing? I understand the GoPro uh, can capture just about anything, but there's still composite. If you pay attention to composition and where it would be best placed as far as the corners of the of the image, you would really want to put yourself behind the camera, your mind behind the camera, look at it and go, it's really pointing too high or too low or whatever, rather than being complacent and going like, oh yeah, it's going to capture the, you know, just point it. You know, Nick, are you going to try to hire him in the video department right now? <laughs> yeah, man, come, you, come whip our boys. Well, I actually <laughs> teach courses to, uh, to different drop zones. I've had a lot of fun with that. That's one of the things I teach people is to not use the complacency of the, of, uh, the GoPro gives you and, and actually uh, really engage in, and understanding the frame lines that are in the corners that are in, in, in every and any, um, you know, any camera, including the ones that are super wide, to be able to, uh, to compose intentionally. The favorite word I use, and I put it on the board, the very first thing I do in my courses is I, I put the word intentionality. And that's, you know, because I, I think it need, you need to be intentional. So this was very similar. You know, like I used to shoot wingsuit uh, with wingsuit with a handheld, uh, like a Canon 5D or something like that on my hand. I had a hand mount, and, and so I always had to kind of look at the camera and go like, okay, the composition that I want from there is this, and you'd kind of tweak it accordingly, understanding that your lens can do certain things based on the angle you have it. So this was kind of the same game. You go like, okay, I know that my chest is creating that angle, and depending on what I needed is what I would shoot. And I did something similar with, with uh, sky surfing. It was a really cool, cool film. And you really have done every discipline. At yeah, least get involved with videography, photography of it all. I, I love doing it. Yeah, I do. Man. I really I want to go back to Willing to Fly for one second. Mm-hmm. And you say one day maybe remaster to HD. That would be an expensive project. Mm-hmm. I just wonder, and something maybe you've already chewed on, but with things like Kickstarter and crowdsourcing out there, why not look at what the cost would be and see if that's something that you could put out? Because I for sure would want to get that in HD. I, I, I It's... Sometimes a classic is a classic because it's just a great video. Mm-hmm. And no matter what era of skydiving you come from, you're going to see some of the most beautiful artistic videography I've ever seen. The, 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 you're, you're an artist. And I would love to see if you could find that avenue. Thank you. That may, that may be a, a good thing. I just have so many projects that need finishing, you know. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, that isn't one of the ideas is to finish that. And uh, actually, one of the things that I really want to get into is um, I would love to... Uh, and that's something that calls me a lot is to share willing to fly, but pick it apart. Meaning like what was the thought that came behind 
each specific segment, why we did it, and all that kind of stuff. You know, like there's a second, I think there's a part here, uh, one of the area things that I brought called perspectives or something like that. Be the B, you see that? Yeah. Let's see. I think we could talk about that. Let's just have, and, and by the way, let me, let me, let me share with you before you start anything. This is not staged show. Really, this is live. And the only reason this, this, uh, that I'm bringing up these things is because that's sort of what I do when I do my live talks is that I prepare material just in case somebody asks me something that's relevant. And since I am a visual kind of uh, person, an artist, um, when somebody asks me something, chances are if it's something that I, it's an experience that I had, I have a, a visual of, of it. So this is just happens to be you asked this question and I just happen to think in case somebody asked and I'll have it there. So it is not staged. <laughs> we didn't plan this question. Uh, I think anyone question. who's listened to our show before knows that we don't plan yeah. much anything. <laughs> <laughs> we don't plan anything. So basically what happens here is it's part of the film. And this is a transition piece. And what I mean by that is every time we're uh, visiting a certain discipline, um, there's a part in between where we kind of, there's this guide that goes, oh, and it learns a lesson from what they saw, from what she saw, and, they, um, and then leads us to the next piece. And this was one of those pieces as a transition piece. And the way this came to be is, um, is there a video there too? Yeah, it's a video. Okay, That's hold on then. Uh, before Let me explain what it is. This was something where I thought, we were shooting the swooping part of Willing to Fly. This is the early days of swooping back with stilettos and stuff like that. And I saw these little lily pads in the swooping pond in a, in a ranch that we, were, um, that we were shooting at. And I thought to myself, okay, if I shoot this thing at 200 frames a second, it was moving so fast, I bet you it'll look like it's normal. But if I put a swooper at the same time over the lily pads, the swooper would be in slow motion. So the bee would look like it's in normal speed, just flying slow. And the swooper would be in slow motion, which in itself would be a little bit of a mind fuck, you know? And then I also discovered that the reflection and shadows play, just once again, we're back to shadows, play at different speeds. So, again, you guys that are just listening, I'm sorry, but this is totally a visual one. Please come back. What's the, what's the code on this? What's the number on it? We are at 208. Okay, so come back to 208. Oh, the two-hour mark. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's play this. And, uh, and once we're going to play it a couple of times, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. So I'm going to talk over it. So here's the bee. It's hard to see in this one, but it's a little bee right on the, li- on the lily pad on the flower. And then you see the swooper. You see him coming in the reflection of the water in slow motion. Now watch the shadow. Okay, so now back it up. So the idea here is how does the, the and you can pause it when I, when I tell you, please. Here's this, this, the, the image, of the reflective pause. Okay, continue a little bit. Pause. Okay, so here's the swooper, the reflection on the water coming ahead. The shadow comes from behind. It's its own shadow. Okay, bring it. Stop. Okay, there's a shadow chasing it. How does the shadow pass it if it's coming at the same speed? Yet the shadow passes it. Play it. Shadow goes faster and passes it. Pause. And there it is. It's a perspectives game. And the little bee is just going at its own little speed. So this was a way to show... Uh, how things can be different depending on what eyes you use to see them. 
you can look at something and, and, and just think of it as the most beautiful thing, or you can just say that's just garbage. And I mean, that's kind of like what love is all about anyway. Kind of like, you know, you could, you could see beauty in somebody that only you see beauty in, but that's really all that matters, you know? And, and so uh, this film was a lot about perspectives. You know, one of the things we said was have new eyes, new eyes uh, make things new. So, um, instead of being set in certain ways, just like we were talking about earlier, just ironically enough, we were talking about perspectives when it came to uh, me being in pain or me being in fun, you know, just in the, experiencing this within, a, within a, a seconds of each other, you know, being in pain, dropping the pain, going to fun and to uh, creative, and then going back to the pain and so on, and then until I caught myself going, what the hell are you, are you happy or are you sad or what the hell? And the same thing goes here. So this is, the, there's all these perspectives, and here, you see the reflection going at a certain speed, the shadow overtaking its own thing. There's no special effects or anything. And the little bee innocently just playing at what would be called normal speed. Uh, in reality, the bee was going much faster, but that's what made it fascinating to capture in, in normal speed. It's hard to, uh, at uh, slow motion. It's hard to see the bee in that video, but it's just a little bee playing in the flower there. So, um, I don't know how we got into that, but that was just one of those. Uh, I think you were talking about pieces of willing to fly. And what I wanted to share is I wanted to, just like we picked that apart, and that was a shot that lasted five seconds or ten seconds or whatever it is, um, I want to pick apart everything we did in willing to fly and share where it came from and the lessons that were learned. Even the title, like, you know, the title willing to fly. I don't know if I ever told you this story or no, not. No, you haven't. No, okay. Yeah. Well, I did, certainly didn't tell you guys, <laughs> so let yeah. me tell you now. Um, Willing to Fly, the original, the working title was Learning to Fly. And the idea with Learning to Fly was that I was wanting to make a film about the perspective about how you never really know everything, how you always learning. You're always learning Um to do whatever it is you're doing. It doesn't matter how good you are, there's more to learn. I'm, you know, I'm supposed to be a professional and really good at what I do and I'm still learning. I'm still going the tunnel and flail like I told you, like I shared before. And, and even if you're, even the champions go in the tunnel and train and learn more. We're always learning. So I thought that was like the most open-minded title that we could have. That anyone and all these people that were going to be doing magnificent things in the film could still learn. Now, we were using a medium for some of the, and getting messages from the other side. I don't know how people get turned off by some of the subjects, but that's what we were engaged in. And we were um, really looking for, you know, direction and so on and so forth. And in one of my sessions with a medium, which is a dear friend of mine, uh, she says, I got a message for you that your title is really not very good representative of what you're trying to say is very close-minded i'm going like i got pissed off going, what the hell <laughs> you know who the hell sending this message how much more open-minded can you be than learning than always being open to learning you know how much more open-minded can you be and she said like, no what i'm hearing is that really if you're learning you're you're saying that you don't already know. And the reality is that as a human being, you know everything. There is, you, you already know. You have the wisdom of perfection of, of, of nature if you are willing to engage, if you are willing, which is what, I, what helped me even when we were talking about earlier in the flying, in the flying, which is like, you know, if I just put myself there and, 
and dream the shot and engage in the shot and in that future that's going to make me meet that shot, the body will take me there if I'm willing to. The body is not going to learn. I learn in the tunnel, you know, even if I'm bad at it. But the, the part that makes the body perform way better than I do in the tunnel is the willing, the willing to go there, the, the surrender, the surrender to that image into that future that, uh, you know, that's, uh, that it's about to, that you're about to encounter. So the title became like instantly like, wow, you know, I, I had no idea. I was so close minded that I thought this was an open minded subject. You know what I mean? When you go like you're defending it so much, you, this is so open minded. How can you? And you're going like, wow, I'm being close minded. I'm I'm cha- I'm challenging a point that's, that that's and it was obvious that it was like you already know how to fly are you willing to are you willing to fly and that's how the title came Man I think that is really a beautiful close uh not just for the title that's a beautiful close but it's a beautiful close of the conversation because in life yeah. are you willing to fly Yeah Norman, I, I can't thank you enough. You, you've reached out to us, and, and you said, hey, I'm coming back in town. I would love to be on the show again, and I can't thank you enough for that. Stephen Boyd, crowdfund for a re-release of Learning to Fly. Um, <laughs> he, he wants it as well. Uh, we, we can really help influence that. We'd love to help you with that. Uh, the director's cut would be super awesome, but thank you so much for coming back on the show. Well, wait, wait a minute! Are you kicking me out or what? Man, <laughs> we turned the puck this week. I do want to. I do well, want to. Uh, reach about twenty percent of what we we could have talked about. No, I do want to. Uh, I understand. We do have to leave. I want to get a couple kidding. options of, of some closes, but one thing I do want people to understand, and I, if you learn nothing from this show, you've heard some great stories. But the two things I want you people to take away is Norman Kent. So many people are afraid to approach their heroes, their mentors, the people that they follow. And if you haven't learned it today, Norman Kent is one of the most approachable guys I've ever met. You were always very welcoming and very warm when I first met you. And I'll tell you one of my favorite memories of you is you remember Bob Doherty mm-hmm. and Oliver uh, Fuhrer. Mm-hmm. And you actually were shooting video and stills for Bob with Oliver. And I forget his camera guy that day. And it was so entertaining because I actually got to shoot outside video and stills of you mm-hmm. doing that job. So one of my favorite memories. And, and when I was asked to do that, and I've also shot some Bobways with you, mm-hmm. you were always so welcoming, so warm, because here you are, my idol. And you're asking me, what do I want to do? How do I want to do it? And, and that's the approachability of Norman Kent. The professional is looking at this scrub, a guy who's got like, you know, a few hundred camera jumps and asking me what should be happening. And also know that when it comes to his photography in this guy, he's once again approachable. Aim at him. Come at me, bro, is his <laughs> message. <laughs> so know that he's an approachable human being in the sky, on the ground. It's just somebody who wants to be there. We do want to wrap up here soon, but before yeah, I wrap yeah. up, I do want to give you a last chance. I don't want to just shut you down. Anything <laughs> else you want to bring up tonight? Anything else you want to share with our friends and our family? Yeah, you know, you, if you guys want to go to bed, it's okay. I mean, I'll this just kind of worth This is worth here. pushing my bedtime back for, so 100%. <laughs> keep on going. No, no, we, it always turns out to be the same, which is, you know, we have more things to talk about than there is time. Uh, and I think a lot of it is because we take the time to elaborate instead of trying to just touch on things and... And I think one of the subjects, like uh, Empty and Alive, was already touched last time, yet we put another spin to it this time with uh, how I used it later and so on. So it's, uh, you know, I don't mind spending the time and having fewer subjects and running out of time. Um, I love these things. And I think the, the, the thing I want to say is that it's a privilege to, to be able to to talk to people like this, it's, uh, it really is, when you say I'm approachable, I really don't think of myself as any better than anybody else. Uh, this is just my, 
my you know what the, the cards I've been dealt and the and the, and the beautiful journey that I'm in and and the the last thing I want to do is not share it and uh, when I have the space like here to share these stories I have the space to listen to these stories too and learn from them myself because uh, a lot of times you know when things get monotonous per se even though it's hard to say that word <laughs> in the world we live in but um, you know this is a great way to remember wow you know I did that you know, like we didn't touch on the North Pole or we touched a little bit, but we didn't in other things. But when we talk about the bird and other things, you go like, wow, I, I did that, you know, and and sometimes we forget. And and I not only like to share that to inspire other people. And I think the biggest message I, I think I can leave for, for you from, from tonight, which we touched on, is uh, be willing to, you know, just believe in magic, believe in and in, uh, in it all starts with being willing to. And, uh, and and know that you already are perfect and that you can achieve it. And also, if you put yourself in action, there is gold and there is magic on the other side. You don't have to visualize that magic uh, beforehand. You just have to visualize that there's a possibility of it there and put yourself in action. An example is skydiving. You know, you just got to put yourself in that airplane and up there and and the gold happens when you leave the door and the, the, the magic and the rainbows and all that beautiful stuff. So um, don't be afraid in life to uh, be in action and put yourself in the circumstances that deliver the magic that we all um, are hungry for and strive for. That is the, the, the key to it. So I hope you guys enjoyed the, the night. Mr. P, anything else you want to... Man, I just want to say thank you for sharing. I mean, even uh, I'm a pretty cynical... No magic, no hippie nonsense sort of guy. Most <laughs> of the time, there there is a part of me that uh, really connects with the way that you uh, worded, especially that last statement, but just the way that you look at the world in in general. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, th- so thank you for being so uh, true to to that part of yourself. And uh, thank you for letting me play with your footage sometimes. Yeah, you bet, man. man. It's, it's a privilege. So um, thank you, everybody, for for the space tonight to be able to chat. And thank you again for contacting us anytime you're in town. Please let me know. We would love to have you on time and time again. Uh, once a year is truly not enough. For some guests, it's too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, for you, it's not enough. And I bet money that if we had an impromptu, sudden, last-minute thing, that at least one of these two guys, if not both of them, could always make it. I don't think I could say this for every guest, but I think you boys would sacrifice time, any time to spend with Norman. So thank, thank you, you, Mr. Kent. Thank you, guys. Mr. Grubbs. You know what to do right now. Play that funky music, white boy. <laughs> Guys and gals, Gravity Lab Radio, Norman Kent Productions. Check it out. Go to his website. Find him on social media. Find him at a drop zone near you. Make memories. Yeah. Film festival and, coming and up. And don't forget, CBD, Quanta CBD. Go to uh, use Sky, Sky 15. The links are going to be in the show notes. If you're listening to this after the fact, check out your show notes. We will include that link. We will include that code to make sure you guys can get that killer discount. Love you guys. Thank you, my friend. You're welcome.